0: Welcome, everybody, to episode 176 of the Metabilis 2 podcast, which features myself, Ben. And I am David. And
1: I am Jess. Hey! Hey! Hey. Hi, guys. How are you? That piano sounds familiar, Jess. Who are you? Yeah, who who the hell are you? It's a fine (laughs) question. Oh, well, uh, I can say if you'd like. Please Uh, do. I'm Jess Jerkovic. If anyone knows me at all, it's because I've been doing the (laughs) Dudley Simpson Is Doctor Who podcast uh, for myself since the turn of about 2018, and for the public since May 2019. So I've been putting out videos uh, talking about Dudley Simpson's music, and not just really talking about it, but analyzing it and actually performing my uh, arrangements and transcriptions Mm -hmm. of some of his music. That that has really turned me on musically, so
2: it's been great. And as we record tonight, we are twenty-five episodes into the project.
1: Yes, 20, the twenty-fifth episode came out on the twenty-first, which happened to be my birthday. Oh, so, that, belated
2: that happy nice. birthday to you! Yeah. Thank you, yeah. <laughs> thank you. And uh, you had mentioned in that that particular one—it's the doctor's theme, Dudley Simpson's famous doctor theme—the right. first of uh, two, three, four movements.
1: How, how many will it be? It looks like it's going to be four. Uh, Mm. And so I had thought about it for a a while and when it first started in my mind that I was going to do something about the theme, Mm -hmm. uh, I just really had the piece that I just did, which I titled All's Well That Ends, which is the germ of the idea. Mm -hmm. And I had found, you know, several spots where the theme recurs and started to note its evolution uh, throughout uh, season 12, 13 and onwards. Mm -hmm. And... When I first did my transcriptions, I ended up making this giant piece, which basically started not with uh, the Ark in Space Centauran uh, experiment music, but with the uh, Planet of Evil uh, ending, yeah. which is where kind of the next big reiteration of that theme. Uh, right. And a couple of other times through uh, Pyramids of Mars, little bits of the theme or what I like to call the motive, just that little da-da-da-dee, which mm-hmm. is kind of the short version of it. Mm-hmm. And then the full-fledged theme, which occurred in the Sunmakers, and then started making right. uh, more appearances later on through uh, Key to Time and so on. Right. And so I had this big, giant piece. Uh, it was interesting to try and put together the pieces of the puzzle that didn't necessarily have a right order, but what I, one that I wanted to make a proper order mm-hmm. with. Uh, But in coming back, there's always been a a process of uh, returning to and revising the pieces I've been doing, which has been really good, because I think I see them with some perspective, I'm able to make them better. I just recently completed a second run through all of uh, Simpsons scored episodes, Wow! uh, and actually found some music that I missed, or some Mm -hmm. music that I had initially decided not to use, and then came back and thought maybe better of it, so... Blimey. So not trying to be a completist necessarily, but if I can do something cool with uh you know as much as I can, then, then I'm gonna try for it.
2: Do you think as the project continues, what September was the first time you've touched on Tom officially mm-hmm. for yeah. the video cast, do you think there's gonna be pressure to go back and Reappraise like season 11, where you skipped entirely over <laughs> Simpson or Planet of the Giants, which with the big orchestral, you know, mm-hmm. try and tra- transcribe and arrange that for solo piano.
1: Well, I don't plan to do everything and I never did, but mm-hmm. once pieces are sort of digested and I've arranged them and put them out there. Mm -hmm. it does open your ear up to other possibilities. You know, like I've been starting to think about different angles I could come at with some of his music. Like, for example, um, spaceships.
2: (laughs) So the frontier in space, spacewalk
1: type bit. So not just that, but like, for example, there's there's several Mm -hmm. episodes where the opening shot is a spaceship and there's there's some grand theme. I was thinking sort of Invasion of Time, uh, Nightmare of Eden sort of thing. Mm -hmm. They have kind of a cool theme that I may be able to link together. I don't know. It's just mm-hmm. It was just a germ of an idea. Wow. Uh, Genesis of an idea. So it's... <laughs> yes, quite. Um, I don't know what will happen, but it is true mm-hmm. that after I had done the first run, I definitely came up with other transcriptions that I didn't decide to do the first time, mm-hmm. that upon second hearing or third hearing or whatever, decided that yeah, that is actually really interesting and worth my time. So, you know, as your ears get accustomed yeah. to the, the first stuff... I'm maybe open to doing more stuff that I hadn't initially considered
3: huh. so you never mm-hmm.
1: know I, I, I don't think that the, <laughs> the project will go on forever and ever it's not the right. not the intention yeah. I will leave uh, I will leave others to do proper remakes you know properly orchestrated right. and right. so on that's that's not, that's not what you' are interested that's in. not for, that's not for me that's right. not for mm-hmm. me uh, I, that's not my forte I would say uh, mm-hmm. but I can do this and I'll keep Keep doing this for as long as it interests me.
2: Right. And what you're doing is the beautiful part of it, and that's what I really like about it, because, yeah, we're missing the soundtracks for so much of Simpsons uh, scoring for Doctor mm. Who, especially in the later part of the 70s, the Tom Baker era in particular. Oh, yes. But even if we had all his soundtracks available... What you're doing with the arranging and combining and making a fuller piece, I think, really brings some of the gorgeousness and richness of Simpson's compositions for Doctor Who to our ears. And I'm hearing it with a new perspective, the the Jerkovic perspective. I'm enjoying <laughs> it. I'm loving that, oh, that so bit glad. that you're bringing to it.
1: I'm so glad, David. I, I really hope so, because that was the initial idea, was first the curiosity, and then to make something that stood alone. I mean, so much of the music, rightly... Mm -hmm. is married to the drama. Like, you can't really take it away and have it stand alone. And So I was only interested in pieces that I thought could stand alone and then to make something, you know, interesting of it. And it's always, it's important for me to be an arranger at all times. Like, this Mm -hmm. most recent um, First Doctor's theme music. Mm. Part two hasn't come out yet, but I talk a little bit more about, you know, the thinking and the organization. Some of the same music happens uh, in part one. Some of the same music happens at the end of Santarín Experiments, but then, of course, mm-hmm. there's the big theme that everybody remembers at the end of Part 4 of Ark in Space. Right. But there's also a vamp at the beginning of Ark in Space where it's just the same music, hmm. kind of like the same six measures were patched into the next six measures before anything new happens. Right. And I eventually decided, okay, that's just a vamp for the show, but I'm right. not going to put that in my arrangement. So that's why I'm sort of having to... Remember the focus and it's not just about being a completist. It's not just about a faithful recreation, but a a loving recreation and homage, I think Mm. is what I'm really trying to do. So that's sort of an example. There is a a little bit of tasteful editing for the sake of a standalone piece.
3: Yeah.
2: Mm -hmm. And I can't tell if you add a lot of your own variations to the arrangements, mm-hmm. and some maybe sometimes you do when you're combining it, like with a, the kind of the romantic uh, Victoria's theme mm-hmm. that's taking from Evil and 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 uh, Ice Warriors and Fury, where yeah. you're combining multiple stories, like in the Master Suite, where I think you bring more into it. But there's bits like with the Fish People where you end very abruptly. The piece. Mm-hmm is pretty much what you would get on a a CD of uh, of Radiophonic Simpsons' work, and you don't go beyond what you can hear in The Underwater Menace, for example.
1: Right. I would say that my goal was to put as little of me as possible musically, Mm -hmm. except to the extent that it was necessary to organize separate pieces of music as one thing that is my mm-hmm. that's been my job you know you bring up a victorious theme how do I organize that music so that there's a beginning middle and an end and it and it it, it proceeds in a logical way musical way even though that wasn't the intention of the original music I almost never have added my own material to it it's it's mm-hmm. I prided myself in a way uh, that uh, I'd rather have it'd be about his music and not right. about any, you know, elements of mine. Although I know there's a couple of times where I sort of had to create some connective tissue. Um, a bridge? <laughs> uh, something. I mean, nothing too much, but an upcoming episode is the Sutek organ music from Pyramids of Mars.
3: <laughs> Yay. But,
1: but they cut up spe- like very drastically. And I'm like, how am I going to get from this cue to that cue? They don't right. really connect. So mm-hmm. that was one of the rare times where I felt like I had to do just a little bit of composing. Right. Mm-hmm. To to make it connect cuz otherwise it just it just it takes you out of it. It's not a right. it's yes. not a real piece. It's not a connected piece. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. but that that I almost never had to do. It was just mm-hmm. a question of ordering things. And so talking about the the master suite that started the whole thing, uh right. I I wrote nothing original. Mm-hmm. It was just mm-hmm. a question of ordering the music, deciding what music to include. And mm-hmm. expanding the suite from what was just the da-da-da that many people have that The, the that memorable recording. cue, right. Yeah, exactly. Just that. And then expanding it, doing many cues from uh, Mind of Evil, from Terror of the Autons, adding some of the same cues with added melody that happened in The Demons. Right. Um, just making that a part of it. And that was mm-hmm. that was what was really fun. is uh, It's, a, it's mm-hmm. sort of a, like I say, it's a puzzle of my own creation where I'm just taking these separate pieces of music. How can I make it fit together so that it sounds mm-hmm. like that was the intention? Hopefully that works. You know, that's, it, that's...
2: It's working so far. <laughs> Thanks.
1: Thanks. I appreciate that a lot. It's been so much fun for me, uh, not only just for a musical and pianistic challenge. I mean, mm-hmm. especially more recent pieces like uh, The Keller Machine and Bessie have actually yeah. really, really stretched me as a pianist. And I uh, knew that that mm. was something that I wanted to do, is really kind of work hard on my own technique.
2: Is that in performance that it's stretching, or is it in in the arrangement and transcription? Because I would imagine when, like in the 70s, when Simpsons working very heavily with the radiophonic workshop, and you have a very synthesized sound, that that might be more challenging to combine those layers into a solo piano piece.
1: Yeah. When it comes to season eight, for example, the music is actually by necessity pretty simple. There aren't a lot of layers, because the technology I think was still fairly new. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, not Mm -hmm. the person to talk about that with any kind of confidence, but my musical impression is he had to keep it pretty simple because he was doing it basically himself. Mm -hmm. As things move on, he was able to re-incorporate analog instruments, shall we say, uh, the orchestral and uh, ensemble instruments that he was used to using, and then put electronics on top of it. Uh, So, As he got used to the technology, it served him better at first. I mean, season eight scores are so interesting because they have a totally different character to all of his other music just because by necessity they had to be simplified. And so Mm
2: -hmm.
1: in that sense, like, for example, the master's theme itself, although it probably wasn't physically performed on a keyboard by one single person at one time, it actually kind of comes off as playable in that way. The Fish People mm-hmm. was very much that way, too. You know, that was probably an organ of some kind. And so right. that that was just, you know, a left hand. <laughs> and that was pretty straightforward. So then it was just a question of what can I do arrangement-wise, pianistic-wise, to give it a little bit of color, give it some variation, and mm-hmm. go from there. But uh, no, as regards the Keller machine, I wanted to orchestrate on the piano some of the big sounds that the synthesizer is able to, to make because mm-hmm. of the, the different, I call, timbres of the instruments that's, that's created, you know, layering right. these various right. overtones so it sounds bigger or smaller or whatever.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: how could I make that happen? And, you know, sometimes I wish I had three hands, but I really wanted to try to execute that as faithfully as possible. when I first started, I was kind of paring down a little bit and it's like, okay, let's let's make it okay. Like when I first did the piece I call Mind the Martians on the Moon, which is from the Seeds of Death. Seeds of Death. Yep. Boom, 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 That stuff. I just did it as one note in the left hand, one note in the right hand. But it's actually the piano as well as a separate marimba, I think it is. So there's a third note. And so then I had to decide, well, I could do it. And play two notes in one hand and one in the other, and then pass it right. around. That would mm-hmm. make it harder. I'd have to practice it more. <laughs> but ulti- ultimately, I was like, "Yeah, I should do it because it's going to mm-hmm. sound better." And mm-hmm. that was the point. That's what I was trying to do. So, uh, I guess going back to uh, Keller Machine, just some of the sounds were so big mm-hmm. that I had to think, "How could I make it? How could I make it big?" Uh, mm-hmm. and And there was a lot of music to transcribe once I got into the mind of evil. There was stuff from, I think, all six episodes Mm -hmm. that I could use that was based on the theme that was subtly different. That's what I love about it is like, yeah, there was the classic theme that is heard like three or four times, mostly in cliffhangers. But there's a lot of variation within the six Mm -hmm. episodes and that's what's really fun. That's what I love about Dudley Simpson. Even when he gets into the Doctor's theme, it is never one recording that is replayed and replayed and replayed in multiple episodes. He reorchestrates and reimagines it Every time. It, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, it's amazing. a fresh piece of music. Yeah. It's fresh. Yeah. Exactly. And it's amazing. Sometimes almost mm-hmm. you know, breathtaking to think, wow, the amount of work that this would seem like. And yet this is a seasoned, you know, professional Ooh. that Composer, and he could, yes. he could, yeah. And he could turn this out and, and it was always interesting. You know, it wasn't the same key. It wasn't yeah. the same orchestration. You know, that's what I found so captivating about it. Right.
0: So here's a question. I mean, so, I mean, that's, I mean, I'm I'm a complete music ignoramus. I don't know when at one end of a musical note from the other. Well, I guess there's the round end <laughs> and there's a little bit of the top. Very good. <laughs> yeah. Um. It, seemed, it seems, to, I mean, and so, I mean, it's obvious, what's interesting to me is obviously you've discovered a lot about Dudley Simpson, probably more than people knew. Simply by, I would have to assume listening really, really hard, and then writing down what you listen, and that's what what you heard. That that's that's yeah. how I assume this yeah. is how I'm assuming this works. And I'm actually kind of amazed if I understand what you just said is that he wouldn't reuse stuff. He would always compose, if that's the right word, yeah. a slight variation or something new. Is that is that unusual? I mean, I I would have thought that I would have thought you know someone who's working on you know a reasonably cheap genre TV show. Um, would like, okay, I've got that theme, right, okay, I'm just going to copy it out from that other bit. Or is it actually easier to make it up new each time? Is it harder to kind of exactly reproduce it? Or is it, I mean, I'm I'm trying to get inside the mic, because, I mean, as you're describing, he sounds like a a crazy man, I mean, in a a good way. You know, he was was just composing, 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 composing.
1: Yeah. Well, here's what I can say. Some of it, like in the 60s, is a... Director's choice. You know, cues okay. were reused. He, they, they were given a set of cues. And they were cut and they could up. Use it however they want. That they right. would cut up exactly. Yeah. They would cut it up exactly. Uh, so that wasn't Simpson. That was just Simpson creating, composing, and presenting right. uh, recordings. Right. So that's a little bit different. Some of that overlapped into season eight because, of course, the Master's theme is heard basically verbatim in most of the stories. Right. Mm-hmm. You know that 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 theme from the Mind of Evil is yep. reused. It's not heard in *Terror of the Autons*, but it sort of evolves into it. Okay. Uh, right. And then we hear either the exact recording. Uh, we hear. Another one that's repeated, I know, in Frontier and Space is that uh, hypnosis theme.
3: Mm, uh, okay,
1: with the that one. Yeah, uh, that theme is literally the same recording. Mm-hmm. But that's relatively rare, actually. Really? It's just the 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 facility of reusing those same synthesizer recordings, I'm sure that was a convenience. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But right. I feel like when it came to recording with mostly uh, analog instruments, mm. uh, you know, the horns, the right. percussion, yeah. uh, the clarinets, that sort of thing, I feel like I don't get the impression that it was necessarily a burden or else it was just... Uh, a, a labor of, if not love, something that he just wanted to do. Like yeah, it, it had to get out. I think so. Yeah. I, I just, I mean, this is just my own sense of it, but it yeah. feels like this is something he he just wanted to do or was or felt inspired to do. And amazing. I think the one thing that also helped in keeping it fresh is that once the proper, for example, Doctor's theme comes out of the Sunmakers, we don't really hear it again until the Evasion of Time. Wow, And then we don't really hear it again until Stones of Blood. Huh. Right. There's some time given. It's not in every single episode, and he's not a slave to it.
2: It's not a leitmotif.
1: Yeah, it, it, not per se. It's something that will occasionally be used to remind us right. uh, that, that this is the Doctor. And there's a few versions which come out a little bit more heroic than others. Right. But it is not a constant theme. And I think mm. for that reason, he had a desire to do something different with it. Also because the same music doesn't fit different scenes and different stories yeah, you know yeah, he right. he felt he must have felt a desire to tailor what he was doing and it was just easier to not try to go back into some library of cues yeah. which he may or may not have had he just was constantly having to write fresh but but that was good that sparked yeah. the creativity yeah thing. i mean i i, I guess that's
0: that, that's what i meant is it's, it's it weirdly it it was probably i mean easier is the wrong word more convenient to just remember what it sounded like and maybe change it because you were just remembering it rather than going back and trying to actually physically copy
1: out or however he would have done it, yeah. something existed before. Crazy. It, it would have been simple enough to uh, you know, grab a score that he'd already used. Right. I and mean, I suppose copy it out. I, yeah, yeah. Uh, I okay. suppose. Um, yeah. But by and large, that simply did not happen. Yeah. And uh, especially after... After you know the master's theme music was no longer needed, right? Then I, I'm not aware of another of a recording that was reused in another program. Uh really? I might have to think about it, but yeah. I'm pretty sure <laughs> yeah. not. I'm pretty sure the music was always fresh in some way. That's w- right. what was cool about the Doctor's theme. Hearing the end of Ark in Space Four and the end of Suntarn Experiment Two. The supporting harmony and rhythm is virtually the same, but it's not the same. Mm. It's a different melody. There's a little bit of a harmonic shift. So it was always, it was always changing. Different 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 mood. Yeah, it never was the same, and I think that was maybe a tribute to the professionalism of Simpson who was like, okay, this is the scene. I can remember what I did. And if there's something good, I mean, why wouldn't you reuse something that's good, but it did not have to be, I will cut and paste this exact Mm -hmm. music from this and, and, and do it in the other. And maybe that's, that's more of a necessity now when it's more expensive to do when it's, when there's less time to do it. You know, I don't know. I, I, I'm not a film right. scorer or a, right. a TV scorer or anything. So I really yeah. don't know how exactly that works. But it sure is impressive. Yeah, and it is. <laughs> it is impressive. You can hardly disrespect the man for that kind of creativity and professionalism, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: So touching back on The Mind of Evil, your Keller Machine suite for piano, is that your longest piece now? Because it is epic. It is. <laughs> it is <laughs> close to
1: six. It's yeah, close it's to six. close. I, I, yeah, it's it's pretty big. Uh, I didn't intend it to be that long because master's theme is is five something. Right. Uh, nothing really got close to that. I have a few pieces now which are like maybe two two mm-hmm. something. Uh, but yeah, that got big uh, pretty fast. <laughs> yeah. And I just feel really excited about it. And and mm-hmm. as of uh, today, I am starting to work on it again because of course I'm going back uh, those, into the studio. Uh, in going back into the studio, those who have been following the project know that I, you know, of course, march onwards recorded in right. my apartment rather than on the grand piano that I was lucky enough to be able to use. Now that it's reasonably safe enough to go back out, I have been and I started re-recording, started with uh, starting with the Bessie Suite mm-hmm. uh, back in the on the piano again, which the the pieces really need. And I actually can't wait to re-record the Keller Machine on there because I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be gigantic if I can get it right. Right. Because because if I can get that synthesizer power, yeah, you know which you get from a knob. If I can get that on the piano, I'm gonna feel. Well, you really can get happy.
2: it from a bigger instrument than, than a <laughs> Casio keyboard, right? See, again, I, there you
1: go, there you go. <laughs> I,
0: I could do all right. I hadn't thought of that. That they are very different. Oh, very. And there's a yeah, which you know, again, as an ignoramus like me, it's like, oh yeah, they are different. <laughs> um, but you know, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a bigger, differenter sound, and you have to like right. and, put and, some more things underneath it to make it, you know, you know what I mean?
1: More notes or something, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It just, it's just not built to make that kind of sound. The piano is is a brilliant instrument because yeah. it's like an orchestra in and of itself. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. or it certainly can be. And uh, a piece... As different as, for example, uh, the piano music from Evil of the Daleks that I did that sweet I did, which is very pianistic mm, it 's like right. it 's literally him playing the piano and some oscillators on top of it to make it kind of wobbly mm, uh, right. but it 's literally piano um, apart from the uh, the uh, ensemble stuff and the purely electronic stuff like the Dalek music that of course needed to be on a real piano because it mm-hmm. literally was that. Uh, compare that to the remake I did of the music of uh, the time Lords from the end of war games, right. which is an organ, and so that had to be big and so I was trying to get that sound, which meant i wasn 't <laughs> pounding, right. but I had to get the I had to get a big sound out of the piano yeah. it was super important for me yeah. to make that yeah. seem as awesome as the organ music was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the piano can do that, and so that 's why i 'm really right. excited oh I, I brought up the Keller machine because I'm, I got to go back and record that's because now that I've been redoing all of these uh, pieces on real piano I right. have all of them done except the Keller machine and of course I kept it for last yeah. uh, it's yeah. the only one <laughs> I haven't, reco- yeah. haven't recorded yeah because yeah. that's going to take some practice uh, but at least I have the practice under my fingers from three four months ago when I first recorded it so it's mm-hmm. just a question of bringing it back I'm not learning it brand new but uh, but uh, I'm excited to get uh, those pieces done
2: well, just touching on using the grand piano, you couldn't have done what you did with uh, Victoria in the ice caves with the plucking on the keyboard, for example.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wouldn't have even occurred to me to do it, right? You know, if I'd had to. Uh, that's what I love about going back, listening to the music, thinking about it again, improving it in a way that was actually almost a last-minute improvement. I, I mm-hmm. my memory is well, it's that, great. The, the, <laughs> like the day before I recorded, I was like. Wait a second! And I listened to the recording again, and there's like a thump, which is not a the the sound of a keyboard being struck by mm-hmm. the actual you know felt key. It's a pluck. It's a it's a thump. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait a second! I can just do that myself. Yeah. And and it really made a difference in yeah. that piece. I was so yeah. happy. But but you need that moment of of stepping back and then coming back to it to be able to mm-hmm. see it. At least I do. Yeah. Uh, to be able to see it and, and make those kind of improvements and expansions and and so on, which is, uh, yeah. so far, uh, I've been pleased with basically, you know, everything everything I did. Uh, and I just say that, you know, because, you know, I, I, I love the music. I'm like, oh, right. how impressive am I? I'm just i I just love that music so much and I'm very proud that I've been able to I think come close to doing it justice.
2: Yeah. Yeah, your tribute is well appreciated by aficionados of Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> I you. think. Look, one, one of the one of the things I think that I always like is when you're playing tricks me into thinking you have a third hand or that <laughs> you found a way of taking those right layers and it sounds like you're playing three different things with two hands or at the the tricks that you use and then you go on to explain how you either find uh, sophisticated notation or invent new notation for the scoring the explanations beyond the performance are quite enlightening and I don't have enough of the foundation of music to retain those but I find it quite engaging and fascinating I think I I said in one of my tweets that you're doing like doctoral level dissertation, analyzing (laughs) Simpson's work in this. You should talk to NYU and get credit or something for it. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I should. Maybe I
1: should. Uh, It's, 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 it's so challenging too, because that's, that's what ends up happening is I, I say I could do it this way, but if I add just this much, it's going to make it a little bit tougher on me uh, Mm -hmm. technique, technique wise but it's right. going to sound better and it's worth it or or like one thing you were hinting at was the the special uh technique I used in the first spacewalk where I sort of pounded my hand on the keys and then let it up and that imitated that the sliding sound of the synthesizer i was amazed how well that worked (laughs) but then i had to figure out how to write it down and that was kind Uh. of that's another (laughs) challenge which was so unexpected like how the heck do you write that down so another pianist could figure out what the heck i was doing uh so much creativity is being sparked in me Uh, by mm -hmm. by doing this that i'm I'm so happy and, and grateful, not only for the chance to do it, but that a reasonably small, but reasonably fervent, I dare say, <laughs> group of people are like following along and into it. It's very gratifying. It's yeah. it, That's what I was going to say. And I know uh, most of us now are connected by the quiz of Rassilon, yes. but, uh, uh, but it's been wonderful to connect to. Doctor Who fandom in this way yeah uh, <laughs> and it's been great because I never really did except as a kid I didn't stick with it you know I was probably a little embarrassed about it in my 20s I'll fully admit uh, but you know because you know I spent a fair amount of my uh, my teenage years you know uh, I found a gr- good group of friends but you know yeah Doctor Who wasn't as cool as it is now that's true uh, so so you know us holdouts um, yeah, from the from the 70s and yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they owe us so it feels good feels good to connect uh with with yeah. all these great people who have been really nice
2: well the i think the only musical cue from your deadly ditties that you did on Quiz the back in April was Genesis of the Daleks so i'm hoping assuming that that might be one of your forthcoming pieces oh sure oh sure oh, sure because you, you um, touched on the stones of blood uh, with the i'm guessing with the doctor's seeing the doctor's theme. Up. That's right yeah, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Yeah, quite a few uh, from the quiz that I did. The video is online on my uh, YouTube channel. Um, Most of those pieces now I've released in their proper form. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the first piece I did had just come out. It was episode 15. Uh, Then I did The Time Lords. I actually did a bit from The Time Lords. um, And that's now out on piano. I did Nider's March, which is actually next up to bat. Cool. Um, so, yeah, I got to record that. I've uh, been practicing that. And then I did... Uh, oh, Bessie. I did a bit from Bessie. Uh, from Three Doctors. In, in, yep. in the quiz, yeah. Yeah. And people got mad at me at that uh, for that one because they were like, it was from the Time Monster. It was from yep. the Time Monster. Yep. It was like, um, <laughs> sorry to quibble with you there. <laughs> but uh, that was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was, that was a really marvelous opportunity uh, that I was given to to present it. And also it was a challenge because I was performing the pieces live, which is mm-hmm. a totally different vibe. It's like, you know, right. a, a 30 second concert, which is actually mm-hmm. kind of, there's a bit of pressure attached there. <laughs> from, uh, from the intimacy from
2: re- of your own apartment. <laughs> yes. Well, and
1: different from recording, certainly, you yeah. know, you, still, you always feel a little bit of pressure uh, recording, mm-hmm. at least I do. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that, that was, uh, that was a really fun opportunity to, uh, to play live like that.
2: Did Mikey reach out to you on that?
1: Yes. Um, I think it was just because we had done the first quiz, yes, uh, and I, I think we, I think we came in second or something like that. We did we really did, well. We did well, quiz. yeah. I'm pretty <laughs> sure we did. Um, and yeah, he reached out to me and said, and was really interested in the in the project, and said, "Would you would you like to do a live, uh, you yeah, know, cool. name that tune?" And I was like, "Would I? Yeah, of I would. <laughs> yeah, would I? Yeah." So that that was really lovely. Your your video production values
0: are really high. I mean, I watch. Oh you gosh, know, I, thanks. I I, um, I watch a lot of junk. Well, not. Yeah. I, there's a lot of <laughs> junk on 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 YouTube with people like uh, just pointing their phones at something, you know. But yeah, it's well, the
2: why this is a podcast, not a video? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do not do video. No, The
0: the direction and the editing and the camera angles and just the fact that it's really well lit and and well recorded and it's they're. I mean, they're very. You know, there, there 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 is stuff that you know you would watch on YouTube. It's like, well, I'm interested in the content, but it looks so bad, I'm just not going to bother. <laughs> with with yours, actually, you know, and some of your content is a little bit impenetrable to me because you're talking about music, and music is something I don't I'll know check. much about. But I I
1: watch because it's 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 kind of really enjoyable. That's always what I hope. It's I well mean, done. Because uh, I, cheers. <laughs> yeah, right. um, it's always been it's always been really important to me as a performer and a teacher to bring people along with what I'm doing. Right. And right. I, I have been told that although I might, it may not be totally clear what's I'm being what I'm talking about to everybody. Mm. They come along with my enthusiasm, yeah. and and mm-hmm. I try very hard to be able to explain things. Yes, in a musical way. But I don't want it to be so impenetrable. Like I talk about, you know, the emotion. I talk about the yep. the scene that's attached. Yep. I, yep. I I I try to explain it in a way which is engaging to as many people as possible. I, you know, as a jazz musician, I always thought that was pretty important because jazz is also kind of a niche uh, <laughs> musical uh, realm and style yep. out there. So yeah. you know, the more you can bring people in, yes. the better. You know, yeah. and mm-hmm. so uh, I think it's really important to engage your audience in this way, yeah. and I'm trying to do that. And as as regards uh, my uh, my uh, quality, uh, uh, thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't have actually a lot of great equipment. You know, I too, don't tell anybody, but I too am recording on my iPhone. Um, well, uh, I'm well recording done, the sound separate. Um, I'll thank them for you. <laughs> yeah Uh, please do next time you're in cupertina the first time i I messed up the recording sound i didn't understand how to record the sound well on the iphone and then i fixed that right and now i feel like i've got it really really well Mm. and i get a decent sound out of it for not like any particularly special equipment like i'm Mm. uh you know it's not like it's not exactly cd quality but Mm. the performance comes off in the room i think there's like a little bit of reverberation that is natural to the room that's captured yeah. Do you
2: think you'll go back to the master theme and re-record it then? Because that was the first one that you had the wobbly audio on. That
1: that's a good thought. I would be up for doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would be definitely up for doing
0: that. Would Would you also and 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 again? You know, I, I don't know. You've talked about you know actually revisiting who, and I would assume up until Dudley Simpson is done, and then possibly you kind of lose interest.
1: Um, when they when they bring in new, new folks to work on? Oh, work who knows? I mean, I have other composers I like, certainly. It's just, oh, you know, right. Dudley Simpson is... I don't know if I will go to the extent of having right. a... I don't know, Malcolm Clark is Dudley Simpson. I don't know if I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know if I would go that far. Uh, I've much- toyed with the idea of having a music podcast, although there's been at least one out there uh, been right. done. I don't know. I don't know if I will. Maybe not while I'm doing the project. But I mean, would you start watching Blake
0: Seven and start doing all you know? I don't know. There must be a bunch of themes and stuff in that show, which Dudley Simpson, as far as I know, mostly wrote for.
1: Oh, actually, there is. Um, someone um, it's going to come to me. Was it? Was it Jim Sangster? Was kind enough to send me a link to a whole bunch of Dudley Simpson music in Blake Seven. Right. Yeah. I yeah. think it was a YouTube video though, okay. so it was nothing like you know. Right nothing more than that. Right. But it was a whole bunch of uninterrupted music with very little uh, background noise or dialogue oh, or whatever. Goodness. And it, it was, yeah, it was like an hour long. I was like, wow. I only listened to the first few minutes, but I thought... Hmm, I would like to check this out because this music <laughs> would be brand new to me, right. but in a style that I know because I never got into Blake's. I think I watched, think I watched it. Really? I think I got it was on PBS at okay. some point. I I have a memory. Yeah. Uh, yep. but yep. I don't I didn't get through the entire series and I only would have watched it once. Yeah, mm-hmm. interesting. Okay. But but I love all kinds of music, and I mean that's what's so fun about Doctor Who is that until recently. Every story had a different composer, and so there was a a change of feel and a yeah, change of style yeah, right. yeah. and mm-hmm. orchestration, which which was fun. It kept it fresh. It made it distinct mm. from other stories. I think that works really well for a lot of the stories. And I, you know, being someone who uh, really loves the first, you know, six years. Perhaps because I've gotten into the missing audios and so on and right, been right. listening to those. Uh, but it's opened me up to some of the stock music that they use, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the music from various composers who were only heard around that time. Right, right, uh, right. So, like Humphrey Searle's music to Mythmakers is just, it's it's out of this world because it's so it's so different like it, mm-hmm. it stands alone interestingly i think it's it's very daring harmonically the orchestration is small but really effective and kind of punchy and it's so interesting to hear what different composers could do uh mm-hmm. and and how how wonderful dr who is for experimentation i mean you have to look no further than tristram Carey to see right. what was possible right. you know with the daleks and the daleks yeah. master plan yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what's so great about it is that there is really so much variation out there to talk about uh, and, and experimentation and freedom to, to just try things, you know, within the realm of it being a television show and yeah. you're writing music for television, not a, not a symphony or something. Yeah. But still, mm-hmm. there's so much out there.
2: Uh, mm-hmm.
1: Who knows? Who knows? Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. To keep your ears peeled. <laughs> I, I certainly
1: try. I certainly try.
2: Well, one of the things that we've been asking our guests who have been coming on as of late is how they got into Doctor Who, and you and I share the KTCA connection back in the Twin Cities of Minnesota. Uh, yes. Was Was Tom Baker your first Doctor? How did you get oh, into? Yeah. Yes, how did you absolutely. get into the show?
1: Yeah, uh, Tom Baker was definitely my first. Uh, as you say, you, me, and. Brian, share very similar uh, stories. Our friend uh, Brian, who's also been on this podcast recently. (laughs) Uh, I would have started sometime around 82 or 83 when it was still being shown one episode at a time. But I don't have very specific memories of it. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's just enough to make me want to keep watching, Mm -hmm. even though it it freaked me out sometimes. Mm -hmm. But I knew I wanted to keep watching. And then, I don't remember when exactly the change happened, when they started showing it uh, in that omnibus fashion, which became the norm for PBS. Mm -hmm. And then sometime, must have been in 83 or so, because... I started recording on my on our VCR we got a VCR nice. and, uh, and at first, I was just recording the episodes and then watching them and not keeping mm-hmm. them and right. then eventually, I thought, well, I should be keeping them because I really like so I mm-hmm. slowly but surely recorded all of them and the first one i recorded apparently that i kept was destiny of the daleks no good, good and choice. so so well hey i loved it as a kid i mean talk about uh, most of these stories all you want but when you're a kid they're pretty darn cool they i are. think there's daleks i think it has daleks in it yep. yeah, that's right and then i seem to have continued chronologically And then at some Mm -hmm. point, um, the chronology was not only uh, finding Peter Davison in the role, but also the interruption of we got five doctors early before we had gotten to that point chronologically. So suddenly there was Turlo, and I didn't know who he was. Right, Uh, (laughs) But it was the five doctors, and so that was pretty exciting. And then they, you know... From there, I just recorded basically everything that they ever showed. And so mm-hmm. I had the entire collection that they had sold to PBS. Wow. Yeah, right. Uh, but it, st- it all started around, you know, 82, 83. So that would have made me eight mm-hmm. years old. Perfect age. <sighs> I think so. Yeah. It certainly stuck.
2: And I think last time we talked you said that you didn't even start trying to transcribe or play Simpsons music until uh, much later as an adult so you weren't much later trying to play Doctor Who music as as a young lad a musician at all
1: Yeah I, it it actually didn't occur to me funny enough um I think just because I was really really interested in jazz and being an improviser mm-hmm. uh composing went along with that I started you know composing primitive jazz Mm. tunes, uh, you know, sometime around 15 years old. So that was really what was engaging me musically. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there was a long gestation before I became more interested in Doctor Who music specifically and overtly. And to the extent that, um, you know, a jazz musician learns other people's style Mm. of improvising by transcribing, by exactly what I've been doing. Uh, to Dudley Simpson, you listen to you know uh, John Coltrane, right. you listen to Oscar Peterson or yeah. Dave Brubeck or or any b- musician who turns you on. Mm-hmm. You listen to them it's like, I wonder what they're doing here because this sounds so cool. And if you want to take the time, huh. you sit down, you get a pencil and paper, you get a recording of it and you play it over and over and over and over and over again until you get it, mm-hmm. until you figure it out. It's a great way to train your ear. I must say I have a pretty right. good ear. But uh, it's great because it... it it gives you an insight into the thinking of another musician Mm -hmm. and that's really what this is just uh another version of you know learning someone's Mm -hmm. style except it's not exactly improvised Mm -hmm. but you know composing is improvising in a different way Mm -hmm. um but yes it took me a long time in other words to to even for it to even occur to me Mm -hmm. to approach doctor who from a musical perspective Mm -hmm.
2: So as a kid then, was it pretty much collecting, archiving VHS then? was yep. Like your first memories then from Destiny just being reinforced from videotape? Or do you remember earlier, Tom's, Yeah, do you I, know what uh, your first memory would be?
1: It may have been reformed you know, right. over the course of my life. But, you know, I have vague memories of seeing Genesis of the Daleks, which must have been in episodes. So that would have been really important. I, I know the Daleks was something that, you know, really caught my imagination right. mm-hmm. pretty quickly. Um, apart from that, I can't say that I had much memories, except I do also remember the credits, the titles themselves, (laughs) uh, the way, you know, I have like a memory in my mind, part six. Wow. I don't know why that was so powerful to me. It was like. The way the letters look, the way it looks surrounded with that, that effect, that tunnel effect, Um, the numbers. I was a huge numbers kid, uh, which might explain why I'm a (laughs) musician. Um, But I was really into that. And I I loved not only that the the letters look so good, but the number was spelled out. I mean, this is such a weird (laughs) thing to be into. But I, I I can't I can't explain it any more than that. That is a memory Number that I have out of seeing that and been like, and been like, I don't know what's the right word. I mean, not titillated, but it was like it was so. It, there was a frisson right. of excitement there that I just couldn't deny, but I couldn't wow. explain. And so little things like that really engaged me with the show. It's hard to connect especially when i was 8 or 9 it's hard to connect with really specific doctor right. memories because they were all re- you know formed so much later uh, more firmly in my mind uh, with the considered rewatching that i did once i had copies and and so on because it's so different from american television yes and that's that was really important to me too for some reason i really enjoyed the British style. And did you notice that? Was it, Yes. Were you were you kind of
0: noticing, well, this is this isn't like, you know, I don't know. It wasn't
1: know,
2: like Star Trek voice
1: <laughs> the Bottom. This of, isn't like Star Trek, this Star isn't Trek like Buck or Rogers. Time Tunnel or uh, something. Yeah, this isn't like Buck yeah. Rogers or anything like that. Um, yeah. I don't know because I, I I sometimes feel like words fail me when it comes to things like this. Um, I just know that, for example, Tom Baker was always riveting. And I enjoyed the jokes when I was a kid. But I knew that this wasn't just jokes and this wasn't just playing around because it was scary. Mm -hmm. It seemed real to me. Uh, It seemed plausible. Uh, And I've always found that really important for me personally, is that Uh. I like a story. I mean, it doesn't have to be a documentary, but it does have to be, you know... I kind of always enjoyed not the the Philip Hinchcliffe stuff, but also the Barry Letts style of this sort of plausibility that Hmm. I thought was really important. Right. Plausibility is a
0: very interesting word to use. But yeah, I know exactly what you mean, actually. Yeah. And then. Yeah, maybe it has has something to do with the video, because of course. Oh, I mean, you know, the only America. I mean, I wasn't really allowed to watch a lot of American television, but I remember watching Star Trek very clearly. Mm-hmm. And, and the two things that always struck me that was so different between Doctor. Well, I, I like Star Trek was always like, oh, well, okay, there's no Doctor Who, so I guess I'll have to watch <laughs> Star Trek now. Um, so, but it was, it was a, it was obviously the grain of what was being shown was different. And, the, and now I know, you know, Star Trek was shot on film, um, and Doctor Who's, you know, basically shot on video. Right. So there's a difference in the way it looks. And then the other thing I remember is that watching Star Trek, it would go black for like some seconds. And then it would start up again with a kind of repeat of what had happened before. And now I realize that was where they put the commercials oh, right. in. But of course, you know, I was watching Star Trek on the BBC and there weren't oh, any of commercials. So I didn't, really un- I didn't really understand what commercials <laughs> were, to be honest. Yes. And that was always a kind of a strange sort of beat for me in watching America. And same with like Scooby-Doo and Batman and all of the, the kind of you know American shows that I watched. It's like they had these strange black holes in them, which again, <laughs> you know, anyway. Yeah. 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 It's very different. It's very different. Mm hmm. And exci- I mean, and, and, uh, I, yeah, I, I really like the word plausibility. I think that's. That's a good word to use for Doctor Who. It's it's a weird word to use, but it makes a lot of
1: sense. Yeah, because obviously it's it's already fantastic. But as a kid, we are so much more prepared to suspend our disbelief. And we, of course, lose that. Uh, you know, as we grow, yeah. and then we become more analytical, and we're like, ah, oh, you know, yeah. this boom mic is in shot, yeah. so forget it. <laughs> <laughs> that zombie's just walked into a. This zombie's walking into the camera. That's right. But I mean, you never know. That's what it's great about Doctor Who. Ultimately, is that there is so much variation to it, and there's so much that different people can get out of it and, and see and appreciate, and stories that. One person hates, another person loves, and there's everything in the middle. Mm -hmm. So for me in particular, Tom Baker was such a larger-than-life alien character who I could constantly watch and enjoy and smile with and and be scared with. And that's what made it really fun, especially when I was able to watch some of the... uh, Watch them over and over again. The luxury, of course, of having uh, you know a VCR is if there's a story that you love, yeah. you get to you do get right. to watch it over and over again. And so that's how you yeah. fall in love. And when I was thinking about the conversation we're, we were going to have about this. Uh, you know, not to prep myself or anything, but I was kind of thinking, hmm, what do I think about Tom Baker? And I realized how much of what I think is colored by when I watched it. Mm-hmm. And I bring that up simply because mm. there were at least two Tom Baker stories that my VCR failed. Oh. And I mm. couldn't see it. It was a gap in my collection. Right. And so I didn't see it until later. And so consequently, mm. I have a different impression of it. Mm. Which, which, which were those two stories? Um, I I missed Planet of Evil mm-hmm. and I missed Seeds of Doom. Ooh. Whoa! <laughs> so the recording went wrong, yep. and so I did not have a copy, and so consequently I couldn't watch it, so I didn't. I didn't even try. You know, and yeah. I, and I yeah. there was no ability to buy it at that time, or and right, not right, right. widely available as it became. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I just didn't gain an impression of it, and so I actually think very differently about those stories now because I would not have seen them until. Now, we're not talking about, you know, 10, 11 years old anymore. We're talking about as a teenager, you know, right. 15, 16. Right. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. so it just, I just feel very differently about it. That's not to say it was bad, but I just noted the right. slightly different. I am I like the other stories, the stories that I could see from a young age, more unforgiving or more forgivingly, I guess I, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, I, I right. don't mind. I don't mind necessarily. There are some stories that I don't appreciate as much anymore. Right. At that time, Doctor Who really couldn't do much wrong
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh, for me, yeah. and then it was you know then it became sort of a collecting thing, and uh, as I say, it was specific mo- mainly to recording the uh, the programs on television and getting what books I was interested in right. and the big books which talked about the history of the program and gave me an insight right. into stories and such that uh, you know i didn't know anything about didn't know if I would ever see, but it was really engaging on so many fronts mm-hmm. and uh, and certainly uh formative that uh, is the least I could say
2: makes a big impression I think yeah. and I think it's not uncommon for fans in the U.S. not to have any really distinct memories of first seeing Doctor Who because it was on repeatedly and it was on in a loop and that you would yeah was it the first time I saw the show or was it the second time I saw this particular one <laughs> or the third maybe that I formed the memory right. so it it is kind of a fuzzy jumble and podcasting for me sometimes I have to really search back what what was I doing how old was I and what what was my first impression of this show or this particular story
0: yeah yeah I it's actually one of the things I find really interesting because Doctor Who in Britain was you know very linear I can actually work out now like on what day because obviously you know sometimes like I remember seeing that episode at that friend's house and now I actually know on what date I was at that friend's house because that was the only time I could have seen that episode, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which I always find kind of amusing. You know, I can remember I saw episode two of The Seeds of Doom at my friend Simon Kirkwood's birthday party. <laughs> and I now know, because yeah, I have no idea where he is now, but I do know that on that date I was at his birthday party. And then i got a pretty good idea when his birthday is
1: you know etc etc etc. is kind of fun. Oh that is so interesting. Yeah, it's so different. Yeah. Uh, in Britain because it yeah. really kind of like a lot of British things took off here. They they found mm. an audience, you know, wasn't and that was the thing I I mm-hmm. grew up not just loving Doctor Who but Britishness, you know. Right. We we right. were shown um, the good life here. Yeah. Oh, uh, and that was huge for me. I adored that show. Um, right, I, and then right. I, I was into Penelope Keith generally and, and, uh, <laughs> and all the, and, and, to, and the man uh, of to the to the born. Absolutely. Yeah. And my parents watched upstairs, downstairs and nice. so much Britishness in general. I really, really somehow got into, I don't know why. Oh, that's another thing. I, I got into Monty Python's flying circus, probably too young. Yep. Uh, right, I always say that right. just because that's a, a certain type of humor that I was not entirely prepared for, but it, it really stuck with me. Uh, it was yeah, to lead so, into yeah. Doctor
2: Who on Friday nights. That's,
1: I think you're oh, right. Was it? I think you're right. Yep, I, really? I did not remember that. So there was an episode of Monty
2: Python and then they did Doctor Who. You would get your more mainstream sitcom, like The Good Life or To okay. the Manor Born or oh, interesting. Uh, Are You Being Served or whatever. And then you'd get, yeah. you'd maybe get an hour of mainstream sitcoms. Then you'd get more edgy, which would be like Monty Python. And then you'd get an omnibus Doctor Who, whether it be a Pertwee, a Tom Baker, or a Black and White. Amazing. Right, interesting. Right, at like ten thirty or eleven. Yeah, because it was hard to watch. It was hard to watch
0: Monty Python. Monty Python was on too late in the seventies. Um, you know, and it was definitely seen to be a show that was not suitable for kids in any (laughs) in any measure. Yes. Um. So I I only really got into Monty Python through listening to it on record. So being at school and people had you know live at the Hollywood Bowl and I remember thinking like well. Why, why were they live at the Hollywood Bowl for right. God's sake? Because and now I know because they were super popular in America, but I hadn't got a clue why that would be something that a, you know a troupe of English <laughs> comedians would ever do. But yeah, no, Monty Python was very much it was very very mm-hmm. adult, um, and mm-hmm. and I said I never, I I still to this day have seen very very few Monty Python episodes. In
1: terms of a, of a television show, I mean, it's a, it's a, they're an audio huh. thing for me. Oh, fascinating! Yeah, because so many Americans were more or less introduced, or certainly grabbed hold with Monty Python through the Holy Grail movie. Yes, uh, and oh, so that was course, massive right. here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really interesting. But it was I'm sure it was helped by the fact that PBS started showing the Monty Python television shows. I think it must nice. have been. A couple years uh, later. Or maybe I'm no. that maybe, maybe it was after. I think it was reinforced, right. certainly. The Holy Grail completely passed me by. I mean, I
0: had no idea that it even existed until a lot later. The big movie, for, so now we're turning to a Monty Python <laughs> podcast, but whatever, was Life of Brian, which was such a huge deal in terms of being sacrilegious and yes. Malcolm Muggeridge and the Archbishop of Canterbury mm. oh, and yes. all that kind of nonsense. It was just the biggest, biggest, biggest deal. Sure. And that's when I first became aware that Monty Python did huh. movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh.
1: Interesting. So interesting. Yeah. I mean, I was pretty young for all that because that would have come out, I was still, you know, a little boo. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. but what's so funny is, you know, to explain a little bit more of my childhood, I think it's not so indicative that I was into Doctor Who. Although, you know, I would occasionally, you know, show up in a scarf or something and declare some <laughs> right. corner of the classroom my TARDIS. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> What was much more interesting about me is that I would go around reciting Monty Python sketches from the television Hmm. show and entertain my friends by, you know, by uh, reciting, uh, this house is surrounded, I must not ask anyone (laughs) to leave the room and go on from yeah. there and I knew it by heart and I knew so many sketches and I would I had a few friends who I could keep in stitches when I, when yeah. I did that so I was like oh cool I could yeah. be funny
0: yeah I, I, that's interesting actually it was a way for people who are perhaps naturally well not naturally you know who aren't actually funny um could be funny If <laughs> you see what I mean um because obviously there are there are some people who are funny people and they'll always be funny yes. but for <laughs> most of us we're not naturally funny no but if you recite Monty Python at each other, then you automatically
1: become hilarious, which is very gratifying. Well, it's funny. I, I, I think it actually it taught me a little bit about humor and it taught me how yeah, I wanted yeah, to yeah. be. Yeah. Uh, I, actually, right, right. I actually had to teach myself. Um, and I had... I had a real problem with with it when I was a kid. I could not get through a sketch without falling about in laughter <laughs> myself. So if, if you want to be a presenter, you can't find yourself funny. It's other people right, who have to find right. it funny. And so you have to really yeah, hold ex- back. Very that true. That was so difficult mm-hmm. for me because I Very true. I yeah. was very I was sort of visceral with it. I just couldn't stand how <laughs> funny it was. And I could I couldn't get through it myself. So interesting. You
2: know. A little bit of the sketch comedy came through in the project too, the Dudley Simpson and Doctor Who project.
1: A little bit. Uh, that's that yeah, would certainly explain they some. Are, they are funny. That would, that would certainly explain some of the uh, opening sequences <laughs> and uh, and you know occasional uh, jokes I throw in. Oh, for in, fun. In, in the quiz, uh, you were really yeah. cracking
2: up Toby Haydock <laughs> and with your War Games reprise. <laughs>
1: hey toby Haydock is a pretty funny guy so that's a that's a great compliment yeah he's a he's a bona fide <laughs> yeah. stand-up yeah he does stand-up yeah, stand up. yeah so. he's
0: a he's an actual comedian. that's his job is being a comedian
3: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah,
2: they're fun in the. Wow. And you nailed the location filming in the Empire State Building, so that that worked well too. So.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, and I was so lucky to have recorded at the oh, end of right. February, <laughs> so that the timing worked out great. <laughs>
2: Lockdown after that. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: that would have been well.
2: Yeah, there it is. Fortunate yeah so mm. so you were watching at five thirty on Monday through Friday. How did you manage then and I think it was eighty two when it switched? <laughs> we saw Logopolis at five thirty on a Friday, and then at eleven o'clock that evening, Velva was being played Blimey.
1: um that was very strange and yet i I mean I could sort of go along with it because I kind of liked the I liked the change in music actually i was I was mm-hmm. into that. Mm. I liked some of the different composers who were composing you know via radiophonic mm-hmm. workshop and although I, I I'm not sure what I felt necessarily about the stories, I just love the program, so I myself am not actually that critical. Mm-hmm. right. I have learned to become so, <laughs> but at the time. You couldn't disappoint me unless I had messed up the recording and couldn't watch it again. You know, uh, like it it was going to make it was going to make me happy. It was going to be enjoyable. There was just something Mm -hmm. great about it for me that no one could Mm -hmm. touch. And so I think that the change, though, was weird because it was the first one, of course, that I actually experienced. And it was such a big change. Right. And yet, of course, I actually knew who Peter Davison was because that was another British show that was on PBS, All Creatures Great and Small. Great and Small, yeah. So my parents watched that a little bit more, but I knew enough of the show to be like, hmm. oh, it's mm-hmm. Tristan. Would
0: have also given you insight into the Four Yorkshiremen sketches sketched <laughs> sketch from Monty Python <laughs> as well.
1: A little bit, which I did not see until much, much later. Um, <laughs> uh, I just recently... Uh, got uh BritBox and uh, started to watch <laughs> oh, nice. started to watch the episodes of at last the 1948 show <laughs> and the the four Yorkshiremen is, is on there uh it is and, yes I don't think it's on Monty Python's Flying circus but it is on 1948 show and that show is so interesting so this is another thing of my Monty Python because you know because I only experienced Monty
0: Python in terms of records I think it's on, it's either on Live at the Hollywood Bowl or or
1: one of them, Mm -hmm. but I didn't actually know that it wasn't on the, it wasn't actually on the Monty Python show. I feel like I know the show enough to be able to confidently say it was not. (laughs) I'm sure, I'm sure you're right. No, I'm sure you're right. So it was on the Not the
0: 1948 show. Interesting. didn't know that.
1: them. didn't know that actually until I actually watched those episodes. Uh, wow. and, and discovered and oh, Tim I, I, Taylor as well, isn't it? Yeah, brooke Taylor. Yeah. Tim brooke
2: Taylor was. Uh, in you must Feldman. be the husband, which was another 1980s sitcom that was on before Doctor Who.
0: Oh, I don't remember that one. Yeah. Well, also the goodies, yeah. of course. That was I, the goodies. Different. I don't. It, I, I have no recollection
2: of the goodies being on air in the U.S. Nor I, nor
0: I. I don't think it showed. I, I mean, it's huge in Australia <laughs> for reasons, hmm. but you know, I adore that show but it never i don't know why it ever never got showed cuz i mean it's not necessarily more british than monty python i mean it's it's equal, geared more towards
2: children perhaps
0: uh, yeah i was it was more of a kids show but mm-hmm. then i don't know yeah interesting
2: yeah so daleks made an impression on you did any of the early monsters make an impression on you at all other than uh i i i guess it's
1: because i would have been seeing you know the season 12 stuff episodically, because I, if, I, if I would have seen Genesis of the Daleks, mm-hmm. I probably saw the stuff around it. But my first memories are definitely based around Key to Time, because that's when I first started recording, although I didn't keep them. And then mm. and then mm-hmm. season 17, where I did start keeping them a little bit more. Um, so right. most of my impressions are about that. And that's what's really interesting is, of course, by then, Tom Baker is playing the character very differently. And we all know Exactly, you know how that different that is. But I was into it, you know. Mm-hmm. I I liked him being funny, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, at that age, mm-hmm. I I really liked it. Uh, maybe you know because it right. uh, it leavened the seriousness of the material right. with someone who's like gonna save the day and be a fun guy at the same time. So
0: <laughs> gonna quit. Right.
1: and yeah. I always liked the language. Uh, I didn't realize that until much later, but. I feel like Doctor Who made me smarter because the language. Hmm. I feel like listening to the way words were used Hmm. and how important they are and how the right word was used. Hmm. Uh, Even if I didn't know it. It was (laughs) such engaging language. Right. But I still found it clear, even if I didn't, you know, you could still get it, even if you missed an odd word. But I still found it to be really enlightening in terms of how language could work because it's mm. it's not at all facile in its language, uh, I think.
2: Yeah, I think. One of the words that always struck me, and I remember looking this up, I don't know on one feeling, but when uh, Vyra is saying that Noah has the ability or the, the permission to take condyne action. <laughs> That's a great word. And it's sort of like, Condyne, that must be really severe. <laughs> and so that was one of these words that, like you said, vocabulary yep. that were just expansive of learning how to speak. And one of my shortcomings of learning languages, I have a hard time hearing the differences in different accents. So the speech in Doctor Who, especially in the classic series, which was RP, I really didn't hear much of a difference between Minnesotan speaking and there's a great difference between it
1: obviously my ear
2: did not pick up that variation at
1: that's all. very interesting i think this is i guess a hint that i was headed for some kind of music is that i could tell that like the right. way it sounded was really important to me and that was something that i definitely picked mm-hmm. up on the accent the languages mm-hmm. i could be a bit of a mimic when i was a kid i'm not as good as it now at it now but i could make a connection between what i was hearing and then maybe be able to mm-hmm. reproduce it. That's certainly something that manifested itself in music. That took a while. Right. It took me a very long time to learn to read music, and the only reason I really did was because I had to write the music that I wanted to mm-hmm. play and, and compose. Right. But when it came to reading music, I was like intimidated, and I, I didn't go on with it, and so I just played music by ear. Mm-hmm. Uh, for most of my young life until hmm. i got to college and then well i had to bite the bullet and actually do it because <laughs> uh, once i decided to go to college for yeah, music, able and able to read music. You know, uh-huh. there it was i had to yeah. do it no getting away with it no. anymore
2: you weren't a but, band kid then
1: Oh, definitely. I, I actually oh, played okay. percussion. I was a percussionist uh-huh. because I obviously had some kind of uh, inferiority complex because I didn't think I was going to be capable of playing any other instrument except something that you just hit. <laughs> you know, I, I, seriously, seriously. Mm-hmm. It's silly now because I'm a pianist uh-huh. and a composer. Huh. But as a kid, I had somehow convinced myself that wow. it's just too hard. I, I'll just play the drums. Huh. I'll just play the drums with, and the drums are not easy, no. you know, because that, that's, that's not easy at all. But funny enough, having learned the drums, I then, as I grew older, became the kid who, because I had an ear, uh, I was the kid who played timpani. I was the kid who played <laughs> the bells or the xylophone or something. And it's not that I could read right. the music, but once I got it, I got it. Perfect. And so that's how, that's how I got into music <laughs> without being a pianist. Right. Piano was something I could just poke around on. And hear some sounds and make up some noises, um yeah. but still banging on the keyboard still still the percussionist yeah, as a that's that's <laughs> I think that's exactly right. I think it still is a percussion <laughs> instrument, and so maybe that was the connection I needed yeah.
2: uh, but yeah. uh, it's but it's interesting for a musician, those who train by ear, and the flexibility and the fluidity that they can bring to a performance often I find too than one who uh, approaches it maybe from a different point it. It's almost like we learn how to speak much earlier than we learn how to read. And by tying those two together in music, it changes the way, I think, how certain musicians are wired.
1: Hmm. I think so. I think so. Also, depending on the creativity that the music requires, you know, as an improviser, you are composing. And so that Mm -hmm. is much more geared towards the personality as well as the ability of the performer, which is, of course, different from someone who is you know, playing in an orchestra or an, a composed piece that they are reproducing, which is, mm-hmm. that, that is another reason why the Dudley Simpson project has been so challenging to me. Right. Is because I'm not typically a reproducer. Right. I'm more on the mm-hmm. improvising side. So mm-hmm. that was yet another part of the challenge that I wanted to make for myself was to be able to learn these pieces so that I could do them and reproduce mm-hmm. them and make them sound the way I wanted to, even though that wasn't my... That wasn't how I was musically inclined all the time or certainly how I had been trained.
2: So with jazz, since jazz has a lot of improvisation and a lot of jazz aficionados have their music library on vinyl, CD, what have you, Mm -hmm. and it becomes fixed much like watching Doctor Who over and over again, it seems like it's almost uh, the opposite of what jazz is, is, is to have a recording of it and then imprint on that performance or that way of uh, conveying the music.
1: I think you're right. There is a slight irony there, uh, but nevertheless, I think what's important is the moment that was captured can still be exciting and, and interesting.
3: Mm-hmm. It
1: can still take you back because, you know, we have mm-hmm. memories that are based on all of our senses and, So for me, I have memories of all the, some of the different things that influenced me as a kid. And and I don't, you know, it's funny to reflect on it as an adult as to where those influences actually came from in the sense that I didn't perceive necessarily that I really was into, uh, you know, piano music on the radio. So Mm -hmm. I was still listening to popular music, but I was into, you know, Michael McDonald with the Doobie Brothers playing the piano Uh, Steely Dan had a lot of piano Uh, Elton John Uh, anybody who was a pianist like I didn't know but I was really Mm -hmm. into piano from a young age (laughs) so certain music interests me And, and the funniest thing has happened to me just like in the last week I reconnected with some music that I absolutely adored from a kid and that I still can't get enough of get this it's the music cues from The Price is Right wow because The Price is Right was full of music. Huh. Each prize had a different piece of music that wow. was underneath it. Huh. And, so, and, and now they're all on YouTube. So I'm like, huh. oh my God, I, have, I've, I loved this song when I was six or seven or eight, when I was staying home sick and watching The Price is Right. You, huh. I imprinted wow. on that as well. It's wow. so fascinating. It's so fascinating the different sources of music that, that connect with you. Do you know if it's the same composer for all the prices? Right, I'm not sure it is. It's the same production company for the most part, mm-hmm. but it may not have been all the same composers. But I can tell absolutely there is a surprising amount of jazz in that music, Interesting. Uh, even though it's kind of funky and wah wah guitar. Right, there's all kinds of improvising, uh, wow. and mm-hmm. clearly the session musicians who recorded that music were all jazz. Influenced or certainly fluent right and so I'm, I'm sure that's you know all of this stuff added together uh, To lead me towards music. I just didn't know it, but it came from everywhere You know it yeah. came from Steely Dan. It came from the Price is Right. It came from Doctor Who right It came from my parents having this record or that that I loved it came from right. me listening to the Star Wars soundtrack You know <laughs> so much yeah. was was influencing me at that time, but it didn't lead me directly to music until I was about fourteen.
2: Yeah, I, funny you mentioned Star Wars because the thing I loved most about Star Wars is the Williams soundtrack. Oh yeah, and I wonder if if the BBC was releasing uh, soundtrack albums of Simpsons through the sixties and seventies, or just in the seventies, instead of these being lost recordings, if uh, Simpson would get more uh, respect than than he seems to get these days, because he's a brilliant composer. Mm. And he has a lot of music that just captures the moment, the mood, that's what you're seeing on the screen and conveys so much. And I listened to the first Star Wars soundtrack now, and I don't have to watch the movie. I, <laughs> it's so invocative, just the music
1: itself of what's going on in the scenes. I feel the same. Absolutely. I think the one thing about Simpson particularly is that because he was generally composing and writing for smaller groups, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, as has Mm -hmm. been said, uh, the biggest sound for the least money. Right. So it was never going to sound as big as Star Wars, and nor did he approach it that way, because actually Mm -hmm. Star Wars is a surprisingly melodic score. Mm -hmm. As you say, you can latch into it. Whereas once it became possible to write uh, music to picture uh, in 71 for season Mm -hmm.
3: 8,
1: the style of, of Simpsons music really did change. It became more atmosphere. It became more just evocative, Mm -hmm. but not specifically a melody, you know. Not something that you could automatically latch into, but was still a vital, integral part of Mm -hmm. the overall program. So that's probably why I don't end up transcribing everything, because I don't think it would stand up in the same way as a Star Wars score. Uh, It's not designed to, so that's not a flaw. It's just saying that it's not always meant to be melodic. And that's okay.
2: Yeah, we jumped uh, several decades later with Sagan Akinola scoring for series eleven and twelve. There's not a lot of melodies. Mm-hmm. He does do melodies occasionally, but it's more uh, atmospheric. It's it's not quite music from the hearts of space from the 1980s, but it's it's definitely mm-hmm. there a, a tonal setting and less uh, memorable tunes that
1: like Murray Gold would have. Murray Gold is definitely a tunesmith uh, yeah that so that is that definitely part of his style and although Simpson could be and was sort of required to be in the first few years, that was not his style and so mm-hmm. right. that's kind of what I mean it's like there are more tunes in star wars there's more tunes in Murray gold mm-hmm. uh, than than there are in Simpson, and that 's why, after seventy and seventy one I kind of had to look harder uh, mm-hmm. to find music that was worth worth, that's not the right word, was something I wanted to learn more about, that I wanted to dive into, that I Mm -hmm. thought could be worth a listen to, separate from the program. Mm -hmm. So if it's his job to make music that augments the program, it's not a failure if it doesn't work when you listen to it alone. Right. It just meant it was meant for the program. Right, right. So if I can find a piece that does stand on its own, it's sort of like, you know, finding a little treasure here and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and bringing it out, and mining it and bringing it out to the surface. You brought up season 11 uh, before. There is a lot of cool music from there. Uh, right. And well certainly well crafted music. I, I I really talk about his his professionalism, you know, and I, I have a hard time finding a music that is um that is distracting. I don't actually find his music very distracting at all. Right. Uh, I, I really find that it almost always serves the action well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, different people have different ideas about that. It could possibly be overwritten, but usually it just couldn't be because there wasn't the time to write, right. you know, 25 minutes of music. There was six minutes of music. So, right. it's right. hard to talk about Dudley Simpson overwriting because right. there just wasn't time for that. Uh, and by and large, it wasn't used that way.
2: Yeah. And he would write no more, no less uh, than what was needed on the screen. And I think that's a. Lovely way to wrap up our conversation tonight, Jess. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast tonight.
1: Oh, it's been my pleasure. I'm I'm so happy to have been part of it and for you to ask me to to do so. It's great to see you guys again, and
2: mm-hmm. happy.
1: You know, this has been another. This has been another very happy byproduct of the, doing the project. It's, uh, <laughs> well, thank you thank were you. very you were very early supporters we of what I was doing, and I always thank you for that.
2: Yeah, thank you. And where can we find the project? Where would be the best place to find you?
1: We are on. We are on YouTube. I've done nothing more than that, except put them out there on YouTube. So my channel is my own name, Jess Jerkovic. Uh, if you search the Dudley Simpson is Doctor Who project, you should find it fairly directly i have a playlist where you can watch it basically from first episode all the way through if you dare (laughs) Um, i have compilation videos of the performance elements of it Mm -hmm. uh, which is a nice way to enjoy just the music without me uh, talking too much (laughs) and uh and so yeah please uh, watch and comment and say hi and and, uh, that just makes me happy
2: and follow you on twitter too
1: yep i'm on twitter i i am jess underscore jerkovic i I think but again pretty easy (laughs) Hard to mistake a name like mine, so it's uh, pretty easy to find me. All right. But I'll see you on Sunday. Oh, yes. Quiz. (laughs) And I'll see at least one of you on Sunday for the quiz. (laughs) Not if I see you first. Lena is
2: setting questions this time around, I believe, right?
1: She is. Yep. Um, yeah she's doing
2: her jamie quiz i'm so happy for her that's gonna be great
0: jamie and last yes exactly the jamie McCrimmon yeah. show
2: you and brian ben need to get on the stick you need to present set some quiz questions yeah
0: <laughs> yeah i don't know enough about anything to set quiz questions
2: what's, what's it gonna be man? i was
0: i was thinking i was talking to my friend bob last night from minneapolis and i was saying he who knows nothing about dog two whatsoever mm-hmm. so you, we should have you on the quiz and you could ask like completely ridiculous questions because you have no knowledge about the show of any kind.
2: <laughs> ah, really. Uh, that would that could be interesting. Or, so, or the outside knowledge quiz. Oh yeah, exactly. Okay, all you nerds, this is reality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would go over
1: really well, I think. Yeah.
2: Sure. Yeah, funny. Cool. Mm Super.
0: We need to do our sign offs.
2: Yeah, I think so. Uh, Thank you for listening to episode 176 of the Metabulous Two podcast. I have been talking with Ben and Jess about the Dudley Simpson is Doctor Who project, and I've been doing the
1: same. And (laughs) I've been doing the same as well. And thanks again. Yeah, you 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 basically said it all. You said it all. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Sorry. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening, and uh, talk to you soon. Bye. Goodbye.
0: a mammoth that was a mammoth one
2: <laughs> <laughs> and we never really touched upon tom either is uh <laughs> just do you want to still talk about tom
1: well i don't know i mean we talked really generally um i mean there's a lot i could talk about when it comes to uh tom baker i would say i mean there's so many stories that i could just watch over and over again mm-hmm. and uh mm. a lot of it comes from seasons 12 and 13 mm-hmm. so much has been said about the brilliance of uh, sarah jane smith as a character right and, She's just, you know, she's such an important part of, uh, of mm-hmm. that initial transition mm-hmm. from Pertwee to Baker. I love the Robots of Death. Ooh. Uh, I love Talents of Wang Chiang. Nice. And I have, like, favorites that you can't convince me otherwise. I love the Invisible Enemy. Contact has been made. Really? Okay. Uh, so I, love, I, <laughs> let's I, I lo- touch on that. I love the Armageddon Factor. <laughs> Uh, there are uh-huh. also stories that I don't like that I'll tell you about, although I don't I really don't like to be negative, but uh yep. there I can tell yeah. you about stories that I am not, are not my favorites. Let me be diplomatic about that. But yeah, um I love the style of I love the style of robots of death. Uh-huh. Um Let's go s- go. Let's go
2: series by series. Let's okay. start with uh, series twelve. <laughs> we get robot, which I, I'm still hoping that we'll get a <laughs> Jerkovic treatment of the robot giant robot theme could do. I, I, I know it's simple, but it's probably the only one that I will ever be able to do justice to on the piano. <laughs>
1: it is it is most effective, and it gets it gets a lot of good use, especially in the first episode. Mm-hmm. Um, by that time, he was uh, mainly acoustic, and there was a little right. bit of uh, a little bit of electronics, some more than others. Like Ark in Space is a pretty mm. uh, synthetic score. But by necessity, I think there's a lot of synthesizer and there's a sort of theremin-y kind of sound in arc and space. Uh, mm-hmm. The kind of wobbly, whoo, that sort of sound. Uh, right. Which is not as much needed in the surrounding scores. Like it's much more acoustic in Robot and Santarn Experiment. And I, I didn't notice how much piano there was actually in Santarn Experiment and Genesis of the Daleks until I started mm-hmm. listening as a musician uh, rather than watching as a fan. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of piano in there. Like the piano is a super important part of there. I'm not aware if Simpson is actually playing on it. I sort of got the impression that he might have done because he is a pianist, but I don't know.
2: I think from Mark Era's description that Simpson would do the keyboards, he would hire the ensemble of musicians, and then he would do the keyboards.
1: Okay. All right. That made sense to me, though I wasn't sure because I knew that he would hire the the organist Leslie Pearson to play some music. Uh, Mm -hmm. From varied seasons, Uh, I think Leslie Pearson did pyramids Pyramids of Mars. Mars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But also Uh, deadly assassin. Deadly assassin. have the big organ.
2: Yeah, they would rent out a church, and you'd get the full pipe organ. Yes,
1: yeah, the full effect there was very, Mm -hmm. very cool. Pull
2: out all the stops.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: Anything in season twelve that aside from Genesis and Ark and Space is are there are there ones that really leap up for you or are those the big ones?
1: Those are really the big ones. Uh Ark and Space to me is nearly perfect. Uh mm-hmm. I I am absolutely forgiving of the yeah. of the we're in any criticism that you've nothing to you criticize there at all. I, I honestly don't Nothing. Really, there's nothing to criticize. I don't <laughs> really care. I don't really care. Yeah. Yeah. And I I just love I love the atmosphere of the first episode um mm-hmm. and the music is is great there. Uh it's funny I didn't really recognize that the end music from part 4 happened in part 1. I think you actually huh. brought it up to me and it's like, "Oh, wait a second, of course it's there." Uh <laughs> that proves the benefit of going back and listening again cuz I didn't really mm-hmm. notice the music until part 4. And right. so then I wrote it down and then when I came back to it, it's like, "Wait a second, it's over here in part 1 and I wasn't paying attention." Mm-hmm. So, that stuff is yeah. that's that's great to to find new things about something that you've seen over and over again is always really enjoyable. And the, the, the subtlety of the performances comes out more the, the, the more uh, you watch.
2: Mm-hmm. Season ends with non Simpson score, Kari Blyton. And that, that score was not liked by Hinchcliffe at all. And so that's why he Rude. got the radiophonic treatment. Do you yeah. have any thoughts on Blyton's last contribution to Doctor Who?
1: Kerry Blyton is fascinating because he is clearly musically a bit eccentric. <laughs> uh, he he has his musical hobby horses hmm. that he likes mm-hmm. and will use and reuse. He can be very creative with some of the instruments that he uses. I mean, we all you know know the crumhorn and the silurians, and and I think there's some kind of funny horn going on in Revenge of the Cybermen. Uh, mm-hmm. but Revenge of the Cybermen is probably my least favorite story of that season, you know, if if mm-hmm. there must be one. So I haven't watched it as uh, diligently as some of the others, um, mm-hmm. but his scores are so, so idiosyncratic that it's it's hard not to love them, even, you know, if, if in the cold light of day, you say, hmm, I don't know if that was quite the choice that I would have made or some other composer might have made, but he's certainly interesting in that, he has a strong personality that comes out very similarly in each score that he did.
2: They're very distinctive. (laughs) Very, very distinctive is right. So series 13 begins with another composer,
1: Jeffrey Burgund. Very much like him. And also because not only because of the music itself, uh, the notes per se, but uh, the orchestration is so interesting and spare. Uh, He, he seems to use uh, some extremes, you know, the, uh, the flute and cello melody of, at the beginning, and the, the, mm-hmm. those those different extremes really are, are played up in some of the themes, and I find that that combination of cello and, and flute to be really kind of haunting and, and beautiful.
3: Mm-hmm. So
1: I love his scores. Both of his scores are really really good. And I've gotten <laughs> yeah. now that I've gotten to know Seeds of Doom a lot better, <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I really like those. Both of those scores I think are really really great. Uh-huh. So different. Story-wise, for season 13, any highlights, lowlights? Yeah. Not so into the android invasion. It's okay. You know, Terry Nation writes an awesome first episode. I will certainly say that. (laughs) Um... I think I may have even talked to you about this. The opening music of episode one is something that I considered doing. It's this great mechanistic uh, stuff, Mm -hmm. but it just seemed like a little too much. Maybe I'll come back to that. You never know. (laughs) But at the time, it uh, kind of intimidated me enough that I didn't do it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's uh, maybe the the low light for me. I've gotten into Planet of Evil because, again, I didn't see it until much later. Um, Mm -hmm. Beautiful production. True. I guess my favorites would have to be, I mean, how can you go wrong with Pyramids of Mars? Um mm. I find Tom Baker's grimness yep. in that so riveting. Hmm. He's 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 not funny. Nope. <laughs> and and it's it's wonderful. Yep. It's it's really wonderful. Doesn't let up for a minute. And so that's a really great one for me. I also love uh, Brain of Morbius really because of all the performances. Yep. Uh, from all the way down uh I, I i love the sisterhood i love their i love their dancing yeah uh, i love their i love their <laughs> wide eyes i love marin's scratchy voice of philip matic you know you can't go wrong with him mm. and yeah it's just i mean the story is just so bonkers that's a really interesting one in terms of memory because you may remember uh david that Brain of Morbius was presented in the United States, missing the music soundtrack to Part 1. I don't remember that, no. Part 1 had no music, and there may have been some sound effects missing as well. Uh, So we we were sent a a bad version of Episode 1, mixed into the omnibus of the other episodes which had music. So I always found that first episode to be really weird because it was so quiet. Huh. There was no music and none of the sound effects were there. Now when I hear it, it's like <laughs> it's much more full huh. of noise. But for whatever reason, we got an accidental early edit huh. that didn't have part one, part one's music. So that's something. That's absolutely a memory that I've had for a long time huh. is the music is still kind of new to me huh. uh, because it wasn't there. Huh. Yeah, I
2: missed that bit. I guess
1: that's just because I got to watch it so many times that I this. Uh, but there's a piece of music that's going to come out of there that I'm doing. There's a what I call the Charge of the Sisterhood, <laughs> which is a melody that happens in part four where they're yep. heading over to you know, deal with Morbius en masse, mm-hmm. and they have a little march that I, I transcribed, which I, I like very much. Um, so that's coming up. But yes, season 13, a lot of good stuff for me, I guess, not as great for me as season 14. Season 14, I think, is pretty much the tops it's a good one uh as it goes certainly for tom baker i mean maybe in close running mm-hmm. with season 12 No, oh. and of course i i absolutely have soft spots for key to time yep. so on but i think generally speaking those are those are the best for me and those are the first three most for the most part eminently watchable
2: mm-hmm. so highlights of uh would it be talons Deadly Assassin, there's a lot of great uh, stories in season 14.
1: Robots? Yeah. <laughs> uh, certainly those three, I would have to say. Yeah. I mean, yeah. R- Robots of Death is absolutely one that was an early, early influence for me, something that I would definitely watch and rewatch and rewatch. And I have, you sometimes have strange memories, as I've been saying. Robots of Death was at the end of mm-hmm. my tape. I remember I always had to make an effort to fast forward the tape all the way to the end for the last hour and a half <laughs> on the tape, which was where Robots of Death was. Yeah. <laughs> but it was worth it. You know, you, it's, you, can, you can sort of picture, you know, what the tape looked like and I my writing on it, Robots <laughs> of Death was here. Uh, so it was always, always worth that. And there's, there's certainly some great music in there, although at the moment I haven't found use for it. But the waltz macabre of, of some of the, uh, the robot music um, I may do something with, but I haven't done anything with yet.
2: And Simpson gets screen time as the conductor in the pit and the talents <laughs> of Wang Chang at the theater.
1: Yeah, it's so funny, though, because, of course, the music is added on later. There's no mm-hmm. music that actually takes place in the in the physical performance of him conducting. So it's all mimed. Yeah, I still love that. Um yeah, Talons is a really great score. I think there there's some weird instrument. It's like a car spring or something that it goes shing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think there's other people who know more about that than me because I I won't always know exactly what instrument it is because you know so, when I was first doing the project, you know I sometimes started talking about synthesizers and keyboards in the 60s when there were not synthesizers. Hmm. So I don't always know what I'm talking about when it comes to that. I've learned <laughs> to be careful. Um, but I dare say I know what I'm talking about when it comes to the actual notes and such, but not always the instruments.
2: Were you called to the mat on that? Did someone bring that to your no, attention? No, I did it to or... myself
1: because I realized I had been using the term keyboard a little bit more freely than I should have been. I mean, there were certainly like organs mm-hmm. and things. Uh, that were used from Celestial Toymaker mm-hmm. onwards, but then when things were like the Fury from the Deep score is not not it's not a synthesizer it's actually mm-hmm. oscillators and I didn't know that I didn't know the difference yeah. between the two things, so it's a it must have been a much more difficult way of of making music actually than than synthesizers turned out to be and even those were were a pain mm-hmm. in the butt to do, uh, but anyway I've learned a lot more by doing it but I'm not. Uh, the most aware of exact articulations or exact electronic instruments, so I've had to kind of repair some of the things that I've said, or at least try to. Uh, when I realized, hmm, I was a little, I was a little careless mm-hmm. there with what I said. Um, but I like, I, I like the organ music of uh, Deadly Assassin. That's another mm-hmm. one I transcribed. Uh, the organ music mm-hmm. of the Panopticon is really cool because it's, it's of course actual pipe organ music, as we were yeah. saying. There's a sinisterness to it, uh, that, uh, and it goes on Mm -hmm. and on for a really long time. There's there's clearly some improvising just going on just to (laughs) fill the space uh, until the big chords come in at the the cliffhanger. Uh, But that music is really, really cool.
2: One thing I think struck me in the last time I watched Deadly Assassin was the music when in The Matrix is pretty sparse compared to the music when you're in the Panopticon and on Gallifrey proper. It seems like the production that was going on there, with David Maloney directing, intentional decisions were made on how the music would play into that production to differentiate between the Matrix and Gallifrey itself.
1: Yeah, I think that's so that that still highlights the importance of the director saying, "I want music here." And then, you know, Simpson would write to it. But Simpson wasn't just writing freely. I gather he was writing based on an interaction with the director saying, this is what I'm looking for here. Mm -hmm. So I gather there probably wasn't a lot of wasted Simpson music he wrote more specifically, (laughs) which is why in some episodes there's very little music at all, because that's what the director wanted. Mm -hmm. But yes, you're absolutely right. The sparseness and absence of music really plays up some of the tension of a lot the buildup of all those scenes in the matrix because it's so silent and there's just the ambient noise added of an insect buzzing or something or the open air Mm -hmm. it it really kind of heightens your senses because there is so little to hear generally I think that was an excellent decision because too much music would have been distracting and so Mm -hmm. that that really paid off there I think
2: with Talons, was there anything that uh, struck your fancy for uh, arranging, transcribing, or is it more mood and setting music?
1: Yeah, it's all it's all mood in that one, but it's, it's still so cool. I considered transcribing the theater chase in part two, right. where it's all action. There's no dialogue for about two minutes. And so you can just hear this music very clearly. Uh, I ultimately did not do it just because I thought it didn't pass the test of standing alone for me. Uh, It Mm -hmm. was great music wedded to the picture, but it didn't make sense as a piece alone. And that's always what I've been looking for, so that's why I'm not doing everything. It has to to strike me as being something really worth listening to on its own, which... Mm -hmm. Which is just tricky because that's not what Simpson was writing for, uh, right. rightly so. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to search around and really wait until something stands out to you. So, and, and by this time, I'm listening a little bit more for the Doctor's theme, but there's almost no Doctor's theme in season 14. Mm-hmm. Or, or, I mean, as I say, we don't get the full-fledged version until next season. Season
2: 15. But yep. we do
1: get, yeah, we do get that little motive that keeps happening now and again. And I've, and I've unearthed as many of them as I can. Whether I use them all, I don't know. But I I basically know where they are. Mm-hmm. But they sort of stop. There's a lovely piece that I transcribed from Mask of Mandragora. When the doctor is calculating, I think, what is it? The, the time of the eclipse or something? And there's a minute of him mm-hmm. sitting there. He asks for an astrolabe from sarah and there's this little light bouncy thinking music which is just gorgeous and it actually uses the hint of the doctor's theme so that's going to be one of the doctor's theme pieces uh, Mm -hmm. that will be presented by itself Mm -hmm. oh so like an hour ago you asked me how the doctor's theme was going to be uh, presented (laughs) and that's actually part three uh so the we've got the first one that just came out part two is going to be sort of the evolution of the theme uh it actually reoccurs immediately in Santaran Experiment in a different form. There's a little bit of it in, in Genesis. Uh, there's the ending of Planet of Evil, as I mentioned. There's bits mm-hmm. of it in in uh, Android Invasion, uh, Brain of Morbius. And then it sort of stops after Mask of Mandragora. And, and I haven't been able to hear it after two hearings if it comes back again until uh, The Sunmakers.
3: Right. So mm-hmm.
1: it kind of took uh, some time off. Uh, but when it did come back... Uh, oh boy (laughs) yeah it came back as a as a a tune you know still Mm -hmm. still you know only you know four bars or eight bars or whatever it wasn't uh, all stretched out or anything Uh, Mm -hmm. nevertheless it it, it still took a while but he never he clearly never forgot it but he did not feel a slave to it like it had to be there right Right. it wasn't something that
2: you would have to put on with Tom everyone that he would score for example correct correct Mm -hmm.
1: correct Yeah, I don't think there was any sort of Urge for him to do that. And I talk about that a little bit in the project. It seemed accidental. It seemed to grow naturally. Mm-hmm. And he applied it wherever it seemed appropriate, but it was not in every story.
2: Season 15, you had already mentioned Invisible Enemy is a hill you want to die on. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Well, I, that's, that's a bit of an overstatement, but I, I really love it because, you know, as a kid, you it's hard not to like K-9. And I did mm. love K-9 as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yep. I did like the robot. Daughter. I loved his voice. I just I loved the, the especially the characterization that developed with John Leeson as as the voice uh, mm-hmm. was just something I adored. Uh, certainly as a kid, and I never lost that. So that's mm-hmm. that's been really important to me. Which is why, um, which is why I like the Invisible en- Enemy mainly. I think it's one of the more successful early uses of complete. CSO, which was not so successful in Underworld, uh, but oh, I, I think like it was okay. I think it was all right there. It was still pretty primitive, as we all know. But uh, mm-hmm. I think they kind of got away with it in Invisible Enemy for me. But I like all the characterization. I like uh, Frederick Yeager. I like Michael Sheard. Of course. Um, I like. Uh, I even like Brian Grellis. You know, I, I, I <laughs> think they're all just. They're all great in it. I I, I really enjoyed it. And I, I really like the stillness of some of the episodes and some of the scenes in part one and part two. Yeah. You know, like there's that amazing scene when the TARDIS has landed. The, Tom Baker opens the door. He's whistling for a second. And then suddenly he pulls back in. And then he opens the door. Like that silence is deafening. It's it, I find it Amazing it's like it's such a great choice to to heighten the tension of of that that silence that's what i that's what i really love about about the underwriting sometimes of simpson's music right. it's not it's not everywhere and that decision to be to let the silence be there is not something i don't feel like that kind of silence is allowed to happen anymore right but it can be so powerful right. and as a musician i'm really interested in the use of of silence and how much it can do to focus your attention rather than distract you. Silence is not distracting usually. It's, it's usually very focusing uh, when you're dealing with drama of this sort. And so that's a scene that stuck with me for a very long time. So that's why I will always have a soft spot for Invisible Enemy, the end. <laughs> no, I, I just love it. I really do like it.
3: Okay. I will sure.
1: forgive the giant shrimp. Prawn to you, Ben. Prawn. Yeah, jump. Prawn. Or shrimp. <laughs> um, I also uh, have a huge love for Image of the Fendal. It's a good one. Uh, I transcribed some of the organ music from there. Right. Which is great. It's the, the music surrounding uh, Thea's transformation into uh, the Fendal core. Yeah. Which, uh, it's... It's just so slowly building. It has some kind of the same motive and it's building up and up mm-hmm. and up and then there's more electronics layered on top of it. Uh mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a really amazing and, and thrilling piece. And I also find it interesting because it's part one has about thirty seconds of Simpson right. music in it, and that's it. Huh. There's one scene that is underscored by music. And otherwise it's the sound effects of the machine and the build-up of the right. presence of the fendal and the in that wood there. Mm-hmm. And It's kind of left to long silences. I guess maybe that's a thing for me. (laughs) Uh, It's left to long silences and just the the ambient noise, or seemingly ambient noise, I just find really effective. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's a big one for me too.
2: Anything else in Season 15, or shall we jump to the Key to Time series?
1: I actually love The Invasion of Time. Sorry, everybody. I like The Invasion of Time. That's a good one. There's so much I love about it. The main thing I love is... How quirky Tom Baker's performance is! I think mm-hmm. uh, I haven't said anything about Louise Jameson, but I think she's great and uh, was not completely well served by the series. Mm-hmm. I think she's awesome. <laughs> I think yeah. she's she's so great. And in the stories in which she's really allowed to be herself, like Talents right. of Wainchaing* or *or the Sunmakers*, I think she's she's dynamite.
3: Yeah. Um, right.
1: As regard *Invasion of Time*, I was actually fascinated with long periods in the tardis even though it was um even though it was uh, actually reproduced by what it turned out to be a hospital or something right but i loved that i actually found that so cool that there were endless parts of the tardis and the new series has done things with that with mm-hmm. the endlessness of the tardis and mm-hmm. the tardis as a as right. a i mean the old the classic series didn't really get into the tardis as a living being you know it it hinted at it a little bit but it never really went there but Mm -hmm. as a sort of endless place with all kinds of rooms out of this for necessity you you know if you needed a room you you could you could get it Uh, whether it be the zero room or the bathroom there was a room for what you needed in the TARDIS and Mm -hmm. I actually found that really captivating as a kid Mm -hmm. and I guess the other reason would be it's full of doctor's theme
2: also, the Santarns have a theme. Does that uh, lend itself to transcription at all with the big cliffhanger musical? Yeah, that at the whole end of
1: part four. It's pretty cool. the The only problem is the whole wah 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 doesn't really get developed. <laughs> it's just a thing, mm-hmm. and so it's cool on its own. But it also is so electronic that I mm-hmm. don't know if the piano really suits it. Captures it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know if I could really make it. Work. If it's so electronic that you miss that it's not being played on electronics, then it's not going to really work. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I should also say that another thing that starts happening, particularly in the in, in underworld and invasion of time, is that K nine starts to have music. Mm. Uh, although he does not have a theme, mm. he has a kind of orchestration of uh, xylophones and you know repeated mm. chords and such that that. Are, that recur in several uh-huh. episodes. And that became the source of a transcription as well, is collecting the canine music.
2: Huh, Because that's so. interesting, because I wouldn't have placed a canine theme until Patty Kingsland's mm-hmm.
1: radiophonic workshop themes were. Yes. I think
2: canine has a distinct theme in the full circle, for example.
1: That's correct. That's correct. No, you're right, because this isn't really a theme per se. It's mm-hmm. simply a collection of very similar canine-related orchestrations, sounds, huh. but it's huh. not a theme per se, but it actually works because there's such a s- similarity of the character of sounds throughout the piece that I think, huh. I think the suite works.
2: Uh-huh. Uh, well, so I look forward to that.
1: Yeah. 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 Unfortunately the, I, I'm still going in order. So canine will be one of the <laughs> end ones, but, uh, but it, it's coming. It's definitely coming. Mm-hmm. So I love the music of uh, invasion of time. And that must be a great reason why I, I really like it is, mm-hmm. uh, for me it has great oral memories
2: and if memory serves i think that and the sunmakers are two score soundtracks that still exist in some part yes like, without dialogue i guess i
1: think memory says uh, parts three and four exist hmm. uh, mm-hmm. but not the whole thing sadly but i believe it's yeah. three and four yeah i think so that... yeah so it would be cool because that's the only bit of the santara music that exists separately is that cliffhanger but there's more right. of it in part five i think and I don't remember about part six, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, that w- that would have been cool to to have separately, but it is there, yeah yep um,
2: key to time
1: yes, this is where a lot of
2: I think American fans' first memories were Doctor Who was kind of trundling along, but there was something about the key to time that captured captured our imagination <laughs> I don't know
1: I think you're right, I think you're right this was This was one of the very first DVD releases in the States, and if I remember rightly, it was mm. not released in Britain. It was especially a very early DVD, which they consequently redid because, yeah. you know, they now do all these uh, documentaries and stuff, which I have grown to love. Right. But they, they put out an early version of the Key to Time series uh, for the States, if I remember yep. rightly. Yep, that's so, correct. Yeah. So I think you're absolutely right. They were realizing that that was a way in that a lot of people had when they were being introduced hmm. to the show, I think. I think so. So I, myself, love the first three stories in particular. Mm-hmm. I like the reboss operation mainly again for the Robert Holmes writing, right. I think it's really engaging. I, I love Mary Tam's haughtiness in it. <laughs> um, and <laughs> she's uh, wonderful. She is and I, I love the, the, the interplay of Unstoff and Garon Double act. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think they're, I think they're hilarious. <laughs> um, yep. And there's uh, another piece that I transcribed from there. Which is the new day ritual where they are giving thanks and they're opening up the oh, doors right. and they're lighting the candles. Yep. There's, this, there's this wonderful organ music. You got it. Yeah. Yep. That's it. So I gave I gave that a little bit of a, a working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that one's a lot of fun for me. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I must just be a sap, but I really find that scene where Unstuff tells Binro that he's right. I. I oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't help it. Call me an old song. I think, that, I think that's wonderful. You know, that is a Tom Baker moment of charm as opposed to a Pertwee moment of charm. I think that's, that's really great. Mm-hmm. So anyway, as regards Pirate Planet, um, you know, in danger of being jokey, but I sure loved it as a kid. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the sort of thing I got into was uh, concerning language. Going back to the Sunmakers for a moment, if I could have made a list... Of all the names that the collector gets called by, Gatherer Hade, <laughs> your, omnis- your omniscience, <laughs> your your. Uh... Or attendity, uh, you know, all of those different names are insane, and they're beautiful, and they're like, what are these words? They're hilarious. Yeah, uh, this is the same thing I could do with uh, with Bruce Purchase, you know, by all the by the left frontal lobe of the sky demon mm-hmm. stuff that I can really get into. Uh, so I just love that kind of language. It teeters mm-hmm. on the edge of being too much, you know, because it is Douglas Adams, and Douglas Adams has a mm-hmm. has a a silliness in him which we all know about, <laughs> uh, which was. You know, perfect for Hitchhiker's Guide, and I think was okay. It, 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 in retrospect, of course, you can see all the same jokes that are in Pirate Planet, that are in Hitchhikers. But yep. you certainly understand, you know, uh, the mm-hmm. economy of material. Uh, mm-hmm. But hey, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I, I I really like that one, and uh, I think Mary Tam is is great in it too. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think if I had to choose an absolute favorite, it would have to be Stones of Blood. Yeah. Um, Stones of Blood, another one that I have no—I can't find any faults with it. I just really adore it. The cast is, mm-hmm. is fantastic. True. I, True love the, I love the—I yep. love the music. I actually didn't realize how full of the Doctor's theme it was uh, until mm-hmm. I started listening. And it's a subtle—it's a lot of subtle versions of the Doctor's theme, mm-hmm. uh, which is why I used it in the quiz. Is because it was—it <laughs> was—it was, it was not obviously the uh, the Doctor's theme, but it's there. And so that really turned me on, Mm -hmm. and there's some great canine music in there too. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that was a story I could watch over and over again uh, when I was a kid, and when I was a big kid. (laughs) Was your
2: love of the Armageddon Factor then music based, or is it the story that, or is it combination
1: involved? I I think it it must be some kind of combination, but I think you're right; it must be the music because there's there's some really great canine music in it, Mm -hmm. and I actually like a little bit of the silliness, uh, like Chap. Uh, he he has this this characterization which is which is so oddly oddly funny. I, 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 it's hard for me to describe, but I I really like it. Um, I mm-hmm. actually like the idea of the computer. And in fact, speaking of the oral interest and the oral connection that I have, sound effects actually really interest me and affect me in the same way that music does. Mm-hmm. So you know I will I will listen to the Dalek City on Scaro music. Just by itself, music. I mean, it's the sound effect. Mm-hmm. It's that sound of the, of the background there. I, I love that stuff. I love background sounds. I love sound effects. I love control room noises. I'm interested in all that stuff, so I bring that up because I really love the mentalist control room mm. noise in there. It has a it has a bouncing back and forth sound that's really cool and it's got a it's got a neat like bass hum to it and it, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's really rich. I I find it Mm -hmm. so rich and engaging in my ear that that's another happy memory I have is, is just listening to that. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: So yeah. Yeah. Music and sound effects really are an important part of my memories when it comes to Dr. Who. Yeah. So going back to Androids of Tara, there is some really great harpsichord music in there, which I transcribed. Yeah. Uh, Excellent. So, so that's, that's part of the project too. Mm -hmm. I never knew the prisoner of Zenda. I never read it. Um, (laughs) So I, it's all new. <laughs> yeah, it was all new to me. So it was a, it was a cool story, um, but mm-hmm. a, a tiny bit cartoonish for me, but fun. But fun. I love Peter Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. He's, great yeah. good. Yes. he's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everyone uh, everyone's, else is a bit earnest, but he's great. Yeah. So yeah, Key to Time was also very important, as I mentioned, because it must have been amongst the first stories that I actually recorded and started to rewatch. Right. So yeah, they, they have stuck with me probably the longest mm-hmm. of complete stories that I have specific memories of.
2: With season 17, we have Simpson's last season as a Doctor Who composer. Yes. And we probably have his most appreciated score with the City of Death.
1: City of Death really is amazing because there was no other opportunity for Simpson to write anything this expansive. Hmm. Uh, right. I feel like a lot of the more modern scores, particularly of Murray Gold, were given this opportunity I think because he was, for a lot of it, writing for an actual orchestra. Mm. And so that lends itself to a particular style of writing, which is great.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Simpson was given this opportunity and still makes it sound like an orchestra, even though it's just the usual horns and clarinet and he's on an electric piano. And and it's, 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 rich. <laughs> it's rich. It's rich. It's, uh-huh. it's, it's, it's amazing. It's not totally Gershwinian. I wouldn't say it's a total ripoff of American in Paris, but I mean, there's some of it in there. there has to be i mean there's just no way right. he there's no way he would resist it.
2: well, he was inspired with it as far back in the chase too. I mean he's certainly aware of these American composers
1: absolutely right, yeah, and mm-hmm. so those scenes where we get such long readings of the theme mm-hmm. is great i mean it's it's absolutely perfect I mean for nothing else, it's perfect for the project. of course, I did it uh because it's all it's an actual theme and right. it, it, mm-hmm. it develops and we get all this. Paris street music, which is just just amazing. I can't wait to get to it, but I, I just hope I can play it because it's it's intense. <laughs> that one's pretty long too. I think that piece is uh seven and a half minutes, I think. Because it's all the it's all basically all the, the Parisian street music. Uh from part one and then also part four.
2: Yeah, it's um, just lovely. Yeah.
1: I, I don't know what more I can say that probably already hasn't been said, mm-hmm. but is certainly the music that Simpson will probably be most associated with. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty safe thing to say. Immortalized by its performance in the BBC proms that one year, which was, <laughs> which was really touching. I thought. True. Mm-hmm.
2: Any other story standouts from season 17 for you?
1: Well, it's funny because I, I mentioned that I had just finished rewatching. So actually season 17 is unusually fresh in my mind as regards Tom Baker. It's probably the story, the stories that I appreciate the least. Uh, as a huh. matter of fact, although, you know, watching it this last time, I was more open to some of the uh, performances. You know, you can you can be let down a little bit by, you know, Irato and the creature from the pit and, <laughs> and the Mandrills and in, 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 in the Naimon. I mean, there was some pretty some some f- perhaps failures in, in the uh, costume department there. But uh, <laughs> as a matter of fact, if you can get around that and find the stories, uh, pretty interesting and engaging. I mean, it's pretty darn impressive for Doctor Who to cover drug mm-hmm. smuggling, I will say, <laughs> uh, in, in 1979. True, that's kind true. of impressive. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, mandrels notwithstanding, not so bad. But I started to appreciate Creature from the Pit a little bit more because I like the, the characterization of the planet itself and the, uh, mm-hmm. the, pop, yeah. the, 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 the population and the uh, metal monopoly I thought was interesting. And so, yeah, that one I kind of got back into. Um, Mm -hmm. As regards uh, the project, Destiny of the Daleks is curious, of course, because it has almost no music. Right. Uh, And part four has none. Mm. So uh, (laughs) uh, it's curious. It's so interesting. I I always wondered, as a matter of fact, if Simpson had written music and then Ken Greve chose not to use it. Right. Or Ken Greve literally said, yeah, I just want a little bit here. Yeah, I just want a little bit there. Mm -hmm. Um, However... Destiny of the Daleks is another great oral adventure because of the Dalek control room and the Dalek corridor sound effects. Not the same right. one as in the Daleks, but it's a it's a it's another reused uh, sound effect there mm-hmm. that I I really enjoyed as a kid. Again, you know, when I was 8 or 9, I just loved those sound effects.
2: So. Yep, the sound the radiophonic sounds were just gorgeous, lush, uh, yeah. so full. That they elevate Doctor. Who and I just love the sounds I mm-hmm. agree yeah
1: yeah that's that's one of the triumphs of of the show and particularly I, I think of one of the things that the BBC could do great mm-hmm. they were great at period drama and they were great you know they had a great pool of actors to pull from and yeah, it seems like they were on the cutting edge of sound effects for a long time and their you know chance to try things out. Was Doctor Who, yep. by and mm-hmm. large, and so they really triumphed there. I could listen to that stuff you know, all all the time. I mean, I'm I'm just silly sometimes, but when I'm working, I'll put on you know a loop of one of the background noise sound <laughs> effects when I'm just working, <laughs> uh, and
2: control room. <laughs>
1: yeah, I've have done it. I mean, it's it's silly, you know. The uh, I mean, I, I could list off all kinds of things like the nerd that I am, but uh, it's just something that was so important to me and really engaged me. Do you know? in a in a pledge drive I think I got my parents to pledge to KTCA uh, so that I could get one of the, the they had as a as a gift uh, the there was a five doctors disc yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, that had picture the five doctors yep the picture yep. disc uh, I have it I have it here yeah, in New yeah. York with me uh, but I don't have a turntable so I I don't listen to it uh, but you know it had it had sound effects on it it had music, even from the Sea Devils, but also some, uh, the more current stuff like the Keeper of trocken music mm-hmm. and, uh, yep. and, and so on. Um, I, I love that. I could, I could absolutely listen to that, uh, all day. Mm-hmm. even just the sound effects I could listen yeah. to, I could listen yep. to and enjoy as evocative as it is.
2: So with Keeper of Tarkin, that brings up season 18, Tom's final, yes. uh, we said goodbye to Dudley with, uh, horns and diamond, which yes. probably wasn't his. Uh well it certainly wasn't his idea to leave the show, but I doubt Horns and Nyman would would have been the one he wanted to go out with with Shada being right around the corner. So but then with season eighteen we have a brand new audio landscape with the radiophonic workshop with uh, Peter Howell and Patty Kingsland and others. So what do you make of the stories in this <laughs> in this uh version or this uh, in this series? Yeah,
1: generally speaking I, I'm I'm actually into the change. Uh-huh. Uh I, like most of the composers who were doing this radiophonic workshop at the time, for me, Peter Howell especially, I think is very Mm -hmm. strong and very interesting. And I feel like now that I've especially spent some time on on Dudley Simpson's music, I sort of realized how spoiled we were on Dudley Simpson in the sense Mm -hmm. that there was a richness to his colorations and his harmony and his melody that you don't always get in the 80s. Scores, uh, you right. can. It's not. It's not absent, but it really puts some of those into sharp relief. When you know how varied Simpson's themes could be in terms of their harmonic palette compared to mm-hmm. uh, some of the Radiophonic Workshop. Nevertheless, I really like Peter Howell, and I think his his score to. Leisure Hive absolutely sends it in the right direction. I think it's really strong. It's maybe a bit much in terms of there's a <laughs> lot of music. There's a lot of music in that well, story. Well,
2: Pangol's March is very distinctive when mm, carrying that uh, Grecian helmet out yes. of the generator or whatever. So it's it's very distinctive. And we get, even though it is Radiophonic Workshop, which more might lend itself more to ambient type Music,
1: mm-hmm. you get very definite tunes, especially in Leisure Hive. You're very right there, yeah, and and that's, I, I I think that's that's a positive, but of course I think synthesizers can be, it's so much easier to make them big, and therefore they can they can cover up more, and so I, that that mm-hmm. can be a danger. Um, right. But I I, I I think that was a very good start to the musical portion of the new Doctor Who was uh, was Peter Howell's uh, Leisure Hive. Mm-hmm. I happen to like the story. I kind of like the design of it. I think it's really engaging to me. Mm-hmm. And so it's surprisingly short. Because when you watch it in Omnibus version, cutting out all the <laughs> repeated cliffhangers, right. that and, and Megalos really points out the fact that they didn't have as much story. Like, they're really short. They're uh You right. know, without Without Cliffhanger, some Doctor Who stories run 90 minutes nevertheless. Yeah. These run less than 80. Like, yeah. they were short. So, that's a slight flaw, you know, having to watch like three minutes of reprise. Uh, mm-hmm. But, eh, you know, I like quite a lot of the stories. At the time, I think I really liked the introduction of Adric. Because uh, mm-hmm. you know I was about that age and <laughs> and so I could identify with him i mean he he could right. be kind of annoying, but uh, you know mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed having mm-hmm. him be a part of it yeah. but uh there 's such a change of tone in season eighteen that it's it 's pretty remarkable, and mm-hmm. Tom Baker certainly gets a lot more serious, and I think that was by necessity yeah. uh but also you know by direction of course right. uh by the end it's it's sort of it's it 's such a thick. TARDIS crew when Romana and K-9 leave and suddenly there's, by the end there's three people you know hovering mm-hmm. around him it's, uh, it's a pretty big change from so yeah. long having a single companion mm-hmm. yeah. even when there was K-9 I happen to like personally from the last season I like, uh, my, I think if my favorites would probably be besides uh, Leisure Hive I like uh, Warrior's Gate and K- Keeper of Trocken the most yeah. I think those, mm-hmm. are, those are really fun I, I, I actually find Warrior's Gate really kind of spellbinding uh, even though it's perhaps a little impenetrable, but I, I think it's uh, it's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you you even kind of get away with the whiteness of everybody walking around in white. <laughs> like you kind of you kind of get away with it for me personally. Um, mm-hmm. And then I actually think Keeper of Trocken is a really engaging, interesting story. I like the actors in it. It's actually super sad when Anthony Ainley. It turns into the yeah. master because yeah. you know is a lovely guy. He could have gone with the Doctor and the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know that w- that
2: would have been I mean, that'd have been cool too. A Graham before his time. and yeah, this is Roger Lim's first score for Doctor Who. Yeah, too.
1: I like Roger Lim's music too. He a lot, has a
2: lot of tunes.
1: Yeah, that's right. Well, certainly um, uh, Nissa's music has has uh, stood the test of time. Um, Cassie's
2: wedding too is another one that comes to mind.
1: Exactly, yeah. exactly, very much so. Yeah, I think his music also has a nice bite to mm-hmm. it. For me, I would say Peter Howell and, and Roger Lim really do it for mm-hmm. me. And so I, that must be another reason why I like Keeper of Trocken. But it also has kind of like a, a, a little bit of a darkness to it in the characterization of the planet. Isn't it? It, it always seems a little bit dark, even though there's plenty of light. I always have a sense of it being rather, rather dark and fore, foreboding. Mm-hmm. So I like Good that studio lighting. Uh, about the story. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. I think I can watch for camp reasons uh State of Decay because I love the the characterization <laughs> of the vampires.
2: The three who um, rule I will
1: say yeah, I will say as a kid I was horrified by the whole idea of the of the vampires. So that was actually a very scary story for me as yeah. a kid. Yeah. The Wasting. Um, but The yes, Wasting. A lot of, a lot of, <laughs> did you say the Wasting? <laughs> uh so, in retrospect, it's a little, like, sad to know the insight into, like, the the relationship between Tom and Lala Ward, mm-hmm. which, of course, I would have had no idea about and didn't have any idea about for a long time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you can sort of see how they can't stand to look at each other, it's sort of, oh, I hate to know that. Like, I wish I didn't <laughs> know that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well. Uh, but, you know, what can you do? Yeah. yeah. Don't fall in love with your co-star. Young love. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> He's only 760. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. She's only 730.
2: Fresh out of the academy at 100 yep. or whatever. That's right. Yep. 140, I don't know. Whatever uh, made it December uh, is in uh, Gallifreyan terms. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <the>, uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, and then we lose Tom at the end of Logopolis and it's all changing for for us the viewer and for Tom, the doctor's regeneration into Davison.
1: It was certainly sad for me because, of course, you know, he was my first doctor. And so mm-hmm. it wasn't too demoralizing. But I I do remember being pretty sad about it when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, it didn't turn me off of the show. But uh, it was a little disorienting. Right. You know, because Tom was so identifiable.
2: Uh. Yeah, it's always a downer to kind of end with Tom leaving the show. (laughs) Do you think his shadow or his impact has been felt now into the 21st century with Doctor Who? Do you think the show is looking over his shoulder or maybe sitting on the shoulders of Tom It's a long run as Doctor Who?
1: I would say only slightly. Just because Tom is now so identifiable with the character, uh, still is of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he sort of gave permission for the character to be more alien than it ever really had been. Hmm. I feel like we don't really get a truly alien doctor until Tom Baker and we don't entirely get it again. Hmm.
3: Uh, Mm -hmm. Certainly
1: in the classic series, I would say. Right. Uh, Even with McCoy. Yeah, uh, I, Mm -hmm. I think so. I mean, there was certainly an attempt to make things mysterious again. I don't feel like that was effective for me personally. I Disliked the idea of the doctor arriving someplace, knowing precisely what's going to happen. Yeah, there's no mystery in that. Uh, so that that bothered me. So, so I didn't find him to be so much a, of an alien. They were trying to make him a god, and that's not kind of the
2: same, right, thing. right? Yeah,
1: uh, true point. In, in my yeah. mind, uh, so for that reason, yeah. I think whether that's you can actually point to say well this element of Christopher Eccleston's performance is from Tom Baker no I don't think that's realistic but the characterization of the doctor generally that is still passed down mm-hmm. is a lot more related to his his alienness and his ability to behave in unexpected ways uh mm. compared to other humans and mm-hmm. I think that's that's something that doesn't necessarily cast a shadow so much as leave a mark Hmm. that um, not every actor... I mean, no Doctor Who actor who takes on the role now is ever going to say, well, I feel like I should bring a little bit more of Tom Baker into my performance. No, they all go back to Hartnell. They all go back to Troughton. They they all go back to those certain particular actors that they identify with, but no one's going to bring back Tom Baker. And so for that reason, I don't think it's a shadow. I mm-hmm. think it's uh, it's just a memory and a, and a, and a mark of, of such a strong character. Mm-hmm. A man who became the Doctor in a way that no other actor really ever did become, or maybe he was in the first place. You know, Maybe Tom Baker was Doctor Who and then he proved it. Or yeah. he became Doctor Who and then Tom Baker was Doctor Who and mm-hmm. Doctor Who was Tom Baker and the other way around. Yeah. Uh, so could be that way. But uh, mm-hmm. no, I think it's hard to, I think it's hard to attach an influence. Mm-hmm. There are some jazz musicians, for example, that cast a lot of influence that a lot of uh, other musicians strive to emulate and sound like and maybe even copy, where there are right. others who are so distinctive that to try and emulate them just makes you sound only like them and it doesn't uh-huh. turn you into yourself. As uh-huh. a as an improviser as a performer, um, and I think that's that would be the the thing is that Tom Baker is just Tom Baker, and no one needs to nor probably should try to return to his performance, mm-hmm. particularly or more specifically in the way that they might you know uh, recall uh, Hartnell, Troughton, or or right. Pertwee, or I don't know, maybe even Colin Baker. You know, he he's, right. what, he was certainly distinctive, right. so. That's what I would say is that too powerful a, a, uh, a personality, I think, to genuinely mm-hmm. emulate for other doctors. The
2: genuine article.
1: Yeah, uh, yes, certainly. Certainly definitive. <laughs> <laughs> so ah.
2: so I think that's a good place to wrap up the Tom years. Cool.
1: Very good.
0: All right.
2: All right. Well, thank you for your time, Ben, Jess. Have a have a good evening.
1: Thanks a lot, David. Ben, it was great to see you both.
0: Uh, see you Sunday morning, Brian Early. <laughs> yep, see some of you Sunday morning. Yeah. All right. Good
1: stuff. See ya. All right. Bye. Bye, Bye. Thanks again. Good night, guys. Bye. Bye.